The Koi Gig Pod. I'm laughing because I was listening to a conversation that the City Girls were having and they were just going on about this throw-in. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's our weapon in the World Cup. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mode. Half past seven, you're welcome along this Wednesday morning to OTBM. It's Jern Shane with you all the way through until 10. Shane, good morning. How are you? Morning, Jern. Morning, everyone. How are things? Uh, there's plenty to get our teeth stuck into. Um, we have a really good show lined up for you. Will Greenwood's going to join us in about 20 minutes to talk about the crisis in English rugby. We've got Keith Wood a little bit later on to talk about last weekend and also maybe to preview tomorrow night's game. Tomorrow night's game in Parker Cleave or is it tonight's game? I've, I've lost a day here. Night, it is yeah, tomorrow night, yeah. Press Lattery's going to join us in studio to celebrate the uh, double from Shelburne and also the big news that's um, not, I don't know why they're not splashing this as an exclusive, but certainly it seems like one for Dan McDonald and Luke Lachlan, the Westmead footballer, is going to talk to us about a terrific year in the Talton Cup and his own remarkable backstory while we'll play out with Brian O'Driscoll's reflections on the game on Monday. But I'm going to start with the uh, front of the Herald, Saints and Shell takeover talks. And I saw that and I was like, uh, Shamrock, or, uh, St. Pat's and, and Shells no that's, and then I it's like it's actually Southampton it's the Southampton Saints uh, Shells set for Saints windfall so yesterday when I was like wondering they'd sacked the manager and hasn't hit I'd completely forgotten that they'd been taken over by this new firm right yeah so the guy behind it is Rasmus Ankerson who you might remember is the absolute genius behind the meteoric rise of first Michelin and then Brentford, right? So he's the guy who um, I think made an absolute fortune in, in uh, understanding betting markets um, and was like, football uh, percentages, data really matters over a period of time. If you get the right players doing the right things on a consistent basis. Stats matter, essentially. XG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that um, good stuff. So he, he left Brentford last year and... Uh, partnered up with this guy called Henrik Kraft but then they got money from a Serbian media mogul so I don't know how rich he is but you know uh, I guess he's got the word mogul would suggest something he'll be doing alright yeah yeah Uh, and then um, they bought a Turkish second division team and they've also got 80% of Southampton now obviously things in Southampton have gone amazingly well so far they've yet to replicate the the meteoricness of the rise they're still a Premier League team and, and it's early days and it'd be very interesting to see if um, the new manager manages to implicate the style that they want to do and do it successfully. But they're in talks with Shelburne, according to Dan, and they've been in talks with Shelburne for a number of months, and there's confidence that it will result in a positive conclusion. So, that would be very interesting. Yeah. Well, they're ambitious. I mean, ambition is something that Shelburne are clearly striving for at the minute. Um, and this guy, Ankerson, ever then he touches as you said turns to gold like yeah the Southampton project at the minute isn't really going too well but like someone is going to take that Southampton job and, and run with them they're a decent team I expect them not to go down uh, this is exciting for Shells I mean obviously it depends on how much investment they're going to get and what it means for the club the nuts and bolts of it but this is this is huge the ambition of all of us at Sport Republic is to build a portfolio of high influence stakes in football clubs and other sporting assets around the world and then use our wider portfolio of sports technology businesses to accelerate the development of these companies. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, certainly that injection of cash and intelligence into the League of Ireland is um, is to be welcomed. Mm. You'd hope that they would use their uh, smarts to sign a lot of Irish players. Uh, but maybe, maybe you know, that's not what's going to happen. So we just need to be careful that this isn't, you know. Yeah. Well, if you look at the Michelin teams, certainly they have a lot of homegrown players, and I'm not saying that's 
necessarily the standard they're going to go with for every team they take over. I know they have a team in Turkey as well. Uh, but well, Maybe they see value in this league, get the best yeah. players who are performing a certain function at right-back, at CDM, as they would no doubt say. Yeah. And uh, then they can turn those players into players valued five, six, seven times higher, sell them to a club in Turkey first, yeah. sell them to the, ultimately to a club in England. You wonder, and it's a speculation, but you wonder how much Damien Duff being the man in charge plays here. Like, he's a name, they know him. There's absolutely no doubt that Ankerson is aware of who Damien Duff is. Does that have an impact? Possibly. Um, certainly brings a bit of a star draw to the club. And Yeah, this will be huge news for Shelburne. It's not great news for, for their rival teams in the League of Ireland, but uh, maybe generally speaking it'll, it'll increase the the interest and quality of the, the League of Ireland so yeah um, they're also being linked with Valenciennes uh, F Ligue 2 team in France so look they like projects it's it's obviously uh, far, far enough advanced for somebody to be talking and for Dan to be putting in the paper and it's the week of the cup final so um, you would hope that something is going to come of it if um just a little bit of investment in the league mm. a rising of some boats so Derry have investment Shamrock Rovers have investment Shelburne have investment there's three teams who will be able to go toe to toe suddenly you've got a title race yeah. and after that like that just brings people along we need three or four teams at that level don't we yeah and the, the um, Daily Man plans were published last week if that was a fourth team who were on a secure footing all the time with good standards mm. of facilities and James McLean goes back to the league next year. It's like, you know, this is definitely slowly getting to a point where, pardon me, it seems sustainable and the quality is rising. And that's all you want. Yeah, 100%. Uh, money is uh, money is important to, to draw proper players. Yes, you want the, the homegrown players. And I think Shelburne will continue to do that anyway because that's what Duff has put forward. But um, you'll be able to draw a couple of big names. And whether it's ex-Shelburne players who've played their trade in England over the years, uh, bring it on! I say. Uh, so far, it, it looks it looks good because because of the examples of Brentford and the example of Michelin, uh you have to be optimistic as a League of Ireland fan and certainly as a Shelburne fan. So, yeah, remains to be seen. Seven-figure deal, isn't it? So, plenty of money to be invested in the club, no doubt. Yeah, and and but it's it's also the uh, the technology side of it influencing what happens now. Whether or not Duffer wants. That level of <laughs> hands because on. So these guys are really good. You should sign them. And he's like, oh, I don't mm. know about that. There's, you know, there's a little bit of magic in football where the character of the people involved is also as important as how well, you know, how often they don't lose the ball. So. Yeah. Well, Thomas Frank seems to have fairly uh, strong control over transfer dealings at, at Brentford. You'd imagine. Of course, there's ears in the back, or there's uh, mouths in the background whispering names into his ear. But it seems like he has the, the final say. Now they're a Premier League clubs, so maybe it's different, but. Uh, yeah, you'd hope something similar at, at, at um, Shelburne to give Duff still a little bit of control. The other big story that um, has kind of emerged properly over the last uh, 24 hours, Thomas Niblock of the BBC um, has uh, bubbled this story up that might have been rumbling along for a long time. In So you tell us this, what's going on? Well, I was actually thinking, I was thinking about this yesterday morning and I was like, well, is this going to happen? So Jerome Johnston, cuckoo man, uh, famously, is the current manager of Bally Bay Pierce Brothers in Monaghan. Monaghan senior champions beat Scottstown recently beat Cross Midland at the weekend um, now that's good right that's so they're good. like progressing the way you'd want them to it's all positive yeah. um, but they've been drawn against Kilku the uh, Down and All-Ireland champions in the next round of the Ulster Championship which is this weekend in Clonus um, now this draw was known a long time ago so they knew that the Monaghan and Armagh champions would ultimately play each other in Ulster and that the winner of that game would play the Down champions which everyone assumed would be Kilku um, but Jerome Johnston because he is a Kilku man 
stepping away from his role as Ballybin manager for this Sunday's games. So Jerome's three sons, Ryan, Sheelan and Jerome, all will start for Kilku this Sunday, along with six other nephews. So he's coached Kilku from under 10 up to senior. I get it from that perspective. He said, before I even met with Ballybay, I made it clear I couldn't coach against Kilku. How could I manage against my own children? I've had a great bond with the boys from Ballybay and I'm proud of them, but I've stepped back, removed myself from the WhatsApp group. It was emotional and I'm torn, but I just couldn't manage against my children. Uh, not going to the game whatsoever, but the Ballybay players have said uh, if they win, they want them back at training on Tuesday. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. So initially when you told me, uh, I hadn't seen the bits, that yeah. Initially, you're like, oh, he's not managing against. Like, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. At the end of it, like, it's it, you're on this amazing run. You can't suddenly decide you're not going to do it. But the key part was, before I decided to meet you, I said, if we get to this point, I'm going to step away. So that's like, for me, that's the uh, that's everything that after that. Off. I think it does. I think if like I will do this thing for you, but I won't do this other thing here. See, I totally disagree. If if you're taking over a club, it's like me here. Well, I'll yeah, do anything for love, but I won't do that. But you're the manager, right? You're the manager of a club. Except that it's it's Gaelic football at the end of the day. Yes, club means more than county. Uh, like there's examples of this. I spoke uh, this morning to you about this. So John McEntee, Cross McLean legend, fourteen Armagh titles, eight Ulsters, and five All Irelands just with them. With Cross McLean, with Cross McLean, of course. So he's he's done his duty. He's won his five All Irelands. Go on anyway. What happened? Right. Well, uh, 2019, he was in charge of Clontibbert again, Monaghan team in the uh, Ulster Club Championship. Clontibbert go on to win the Monaghan Championship. They draw across Midland inevitably as these things happen. Um, and John McEntee says, I'm going to take charge of the team. Uh, so he says, I look at this as a win-win situation. Obviously, I want a cross to win the Armagh. And they did. And it was a great achievement for us to do likewise in Tilbert. For me, it's not a pressure situation. He actually, during the game, I was at that game myself in 2019, Tilbert against Cross. John was wearing an Armagh hat, Armagh County board symbol on it. As he was managing a Monaghan team, Clintibbert against Cross, the arm match. It was bizarre, but and uh, as soon as the game finished, Clintibbert win by a point, by the way. So he beats his, his home club. He uh, a bit of a shock, I'd say, was it? Uh, slight shock, I guess. Conor McManus, I suppose, was playing for Clintibbert, so there's a decent uh, panel of squad there. Uh, but he walks straight off the pitch, uh, talks to the media afterwards, but uh, doesn't get involved in any of the hugs and celebrations that the Clintibbert boys are are getting involved in. There's exactly like we know he didn't celebrate. Didn't celebrate. Scored against the old team, didn't celebrate. Yeah. That's a, it's the GA equivalent. Didn't openly celebrate. Um, there's another one, there's another example here. So 2012, Eric Kieran's manager, Ronan McGuckin. Uh, so they were throne champions. There he is in the stands. They faced, uh, uh, he played for Ballanderry essentially. So he is a Ballanderry man, Ronan McGuckin. Um, but he decided to do what Jerome Johnson is doing this weekend. Go to the game, stand there like a little... Uh, just a regular Joe Soap and not get involved whatsoever. Enda McGinley at the time, um, who was captain of Errigal back in 2012, spoke of his disappointment. He said, I'm disappointed the course of action he has taken, but he's never hidden the fact that he's a Ballanderry man, first and foremost, that has led him to this decision. So Healy Park, the photographer's obviously got that uh, photo, infamous photograph of McGuckin up in the stands with his hood up, um, rain lashing down. I'd love to have known what was going through his head. Ultimately, Errigal Kieran win the game against Ballanderry. So well, they've got Enda McGinley on the field who's like one of the giganticest football brains in the country so you probably didn't need a manager at that stage. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, Go on anyway, so they won. They won. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a theme. If, if, if this weekend follows the theme then Bally Bay are going to beat Kilku but obviously that's, that's a tall order. I, I Look, Jerome Johnston is, I've never met the man but apparently he's a gentleman uh, and a lovely man and so I, I don't really 
this isn't old man yells at cloud here, and I'm, I'm not pointing the finger here at Jerome Johnston. I just think, generally speaking, if you're taking over a club team, you have to take them over. Yeah, and there's gonna there's no half measures. I mean, he's not even. It's like McGuckin at least went to the game. Jerome Johnston's not going to go to the game this weekend. He's not even going to be there. Uh, he just can't watch. Now I understand three sons and six nephews on the team. It's that's, a lot, isn't it? Yeah. It's a lot. So <laughs> from that perspective, understandable. But it is also still sport. Like this isn't this isn't actually this isn't the, a fight. No, it's not. I mean, it might end up being a fight. There might be some fights. It's an ulcer ulcer football championship. So you know. Yeah. Are we to expect many many brawls? Well, yeah, there's there's a possibility of it. You know, of course, history would show. Well, I'd love to know what maybe Paul Finley thinks. Uh, Bally best stalwart man of the match against Cross last week. Again, you got Paul Finley on the field to play. You know, eyes and ears. Yeah. Basically, the, the, the manager, you know, a managerial style brain. But like, what do the Bally Bay players think about this? Like, it sounds like they're back. supportive. They said they want yeah, the back, back training on Tuesday, Tuesday if they win. Well, I mean, you're all in. You're all in as a club manager. You're a little bit pregnant in this instance. But I mean, like, you, you have to do. You have to go all in. Okay, you're managing Kilku, Jerome. Yes, understandable. And it's it, it like it would be horrific to manage against your sons. But at the end of the day, it's football. Go home, have the dinner, have the chats about the game, win, lose or draw, and may the better team win. Get over it. I just like, there are instances, and I know it's it's more. Uh, it's tougher managing against your club than against your county. A lot of people have done that. Although Washington McConville apparently was linked with various roles, including Monaghan in, up, up in Ulster, but decided not to opt for any of them because he didn't want to manage against Armagh, took the Wicklow job instead. So it, there are instances where people don't take county jobs because of the, the, the potential split and divide that this causes. But I don't know. I, I, I understand what you're saying, Jerry. Like well, this was discussed before. I think if you've made the, the if you've made the stipulation in advance, I will take this job apart from this one weekend where this thing might happen, and if it does happen, and and they said okay, so the deal is the deal, right? And this thing has come to pass, and it's unfortunate, but everybody knew the terms of the agree- arrangement. I feel like everyone was probably thinking, okay, well, to get to that point, Bally Bay have to win the county championship against the Scotstown team, who have been ultra dominant. So that, first of all, is a tough task. And then you have to be cross with Len in yeah. the first round of Ulster. And that so that's a, a tough task. Yeah, and then um, so they didn't think ahead. This they were like, well, maybe this isn't. Rain O'Neill smacks that one in early, early doors, and everyone's like, well, that's not going to happen. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. that's the thing. I, I feel like now that it's actually happened, they're probably in Bally Bay and in Jerome Johnson's head going, oh, it didn't really maybe expected to get this far, but um, here we are. I don't know. It's going to cause a bit of divide. Judging by Twitter, it has caused plenty of divide. A lot of people saying. Fair enough. Can't, you can't manage against. You your had to, so my immediate reaction was, you "Can't be doing that. You can't you can't step away. You you have to. It's all duck or no dinner. You know yeah. what the, you know what the gig is. But if you make the point that everybody knew in advance that if this happens, I'm not going to do it. That's different. If I'm playing for Marlon Harps and Oshin McConville is the manager. Um, Before you hire Oshin, Oshin says, "I won't manage against Cross," and you're like, "That's ah, grand. Sure, that's only one game." We, we, we want to win a Monaghan Championship that's more important to us yeah well I'd, I'd love to know what like Oshie McConville was managing in a scheme in the Monaghan Championship the last few years and I'd love to know was there a discussion before he even took the job if we played cross there probably was because he doesn't want to manage uh, an Ulster County so uh, he probably wanted to, to so maybe, I mean, maybe not maybe he was looking at it as a win-win like uh, McIntyre was like, it's, I think it's slightly different for well I don't know maybe it's not How, was, has Jerome been involved with the senior club team before in Kilku, I'm pretty sure he has. Yeah, yeah, he has, of course. And and like he's he's managed from under ten up to up to senior level. Like he, I understand that Kilku is his lifeblood, literally. It's his, like his family. 
uh, are such an important role, the spine of that team with Kilku. But I just don't, I don't buy it. Like you're, you're going to look back at the end of your career and be like, well, Jesus. You're allowed to take a, a job outside your club and you're allowed to manage against them. Yeah, I just I, I, yeah, look, I would generally agree with that. I think maybe putting stipulation in the first place was... They, they could have had a conversation with that. Well, yeah, it's only a game. That's it. It's only a game. It's only a game. But obviously it's not only a game. It's like an expression. It more. Of, it's an expression of an identity and it's like uh, who you are and it's um, the thing that gives your life meaning. Well, if you... Right, so say... say it translates the groping ordinariness of life. Yeah, well... I'd say some, some, uh, St. Vincent's head takes over a thigh. They win the Kildare Championship. Even if it's been stipulated beforehand and they end up playing St. Vincent's in a Leinster club final. You, like, you're going to be a little bit like, oh, for God's sake, would you... Uh, it's obviously on. a great day, great day for great day, great yeah, day for yeah. the town. Especially if you're a manager, uh, bows out and decides not to show up. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a strange one. And again, not picking at Jerome Johnston here because he's a. I'm, I've heard a lovely man, uh, and he's as you said made this okay. decision clear from the outset. But yeah, it's a difficult one. All right, it's seven forty-seven. We're uh, turning our attention to uh, rugby and particularly English rugby at the moment. I'm delighted to say Will Greenwood is with us this morning. Will, how are you? Uh, yeah, I'm great. I'm just. Um Looking on ways, I'm off to uh, be junior assistant waterboy for the Barbarians against the All Blacks, and I'm working with Ronan this morning and uh, Razor Robertson. So always a privilege and an honour to be involved with the Barbarians. Uh, we're playing at White Hart Lane on Sunday, and um, I get to see two of the best coaches in the world, Razor Robertson and Ronan O'Gara, up close and personal for um, three or four days, which is going to be great fun. Will they, do you think, be like desperately keen to impress each other by telling everything that they know about everything? Or will they be a little bit cards close to the chest? I'm not going to give you all my best moves well, here. I mean, I think if you, I mean, if you remember, they work pretty closely at Crusaders. Um, so I would imagine they would be uh, very, very open. Certainly the way I chat to them about rugby when I come <laughs> across them is... Um, ideas, themes, opportunities, areas that sides are missing. So, uh, yeah, again, I think it's. Uh, I think that the reality is this week's a lot of fun. It's a little bit Corinthian, a um, little bit old school. Uh, they met last night. I couldn't make the first meeting, so there's always a worry for the first training session with the Barbarians how dusty they might be um, this morning. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's still a jersey. A lot of players around the world would like to wear. Did you play Barbarians? Yeah, I did. I captained the Barbarians and we got beat by Scotland in 06. But I played in the Peace International in 1996, organised by Hugo McNeil wow. uh, at the Old Lansdowne Road. And I played in the midfield, wait for it, with Philippe Seller. I had uh, Eric Rush, Stephen Bashup, uh, most of the Leicester front five uh, in front of me and I don't want to exaggerate I think we'd be Ireland by 60 points <laughs> that's not very peaceful Will <laughs> no well I know I don't, I don't, we had this most extraordinary team I was actually on the bench covering Philip de Glanville and he pulled his hamstring after five minutes I had, I was the uncapped player uh, and I ran on and um, I seem to remember I picked up an intercept and, and went in from 60 yards and I thought oh and then we had a half decent night out in Dublin. Well, we'd had a half-decent week in Dublin, to be fair, in the build-up. And I thought, I need to get fit and stay strong and do more of this, because this is fun. Philippe Sella, what a player. Yeah, man, I, look, I, I come from an era, I actually, in a 
charity game later that year, I played against someone who I reckon was maybe better. And you're thinking, what? You must be smoking something. I played against Danny Herbert uh, in the summer of that year. And if, if you don't, if the kids don't know who Danny Herber is, I mean, the YouTube videos are a little bit grainy. It's not ultra HD when he was playing. Uh, and he obviously, the world didn't see a lot of him because of South Africa and apartheid and being excluded from a lot of international sport. But boy, oh boy, oh boy. I mean, he was a combination of... He was a combination of Gibbs and Guskett, just to give you an idea. So much wheels and so much power. Um, and then I got to start my career... Uh, my first three test matches went um, opposite man, Tim Horan, uh, Frank Bunch, Yarpy Mulder. And I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I need to do some weights. Yeah, the um, the Ireland team in the mid-90s probably knocked a good testing ground to prepare you for uh, Horan and Bunch in particular. But uh, I, yeah, I'd rather play against Ireland then than Ireland now. Oh my God, they're so good. We're pretty good, aren't we? We're, we're like terrified about the fact that we're this good a year out from a World Cup again? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, that's... So you are, right? And the supporters might be, trust me, those players are. I mean, when you're in a camp like that... Uh, look, remember, I was in a an England team that had been battered in the quarterfinal in 1999. Everyone thought we were rubbish. But we thought we were quite good internally between the four walls and we just kept getting better and better and better and thought about the next Saturday. This Ireland team... They've been good for a long time and they have the ability. I think I think the real test of endurance for them would be um, the team, certainly the back line at the moment, they're interchangeability. I mean, to finish with sort of Keenan, Balakoon, Young O'Brien comes on, Nines rotate. Um, that uh, flexibility that they've got means you're not totally and utterly solely reliant on the same five players being out on the field and that cut, copy, paste ability to drop players in at the last possible moment. I mean, your inside centre went, where did it go? Henshaw, McCloskey, um, and, and then on comes O'Brien and he, was, he wasn't he was even involved in the 23 two days before. So I love what I'm seeing. I think you've got a bucket full of World 15 players. You know exactly what you're doing. You're ferociously tough. Your breakdown's epic. Um, I mean... Uh, look, I'm saying all this. Did you get Did you get a little lucky on Saturday? First trot out, like a lot of Northern Hemisphere teams, struggled a little bit and just got the. I don't know. Holby kicking didn't obviously didn't help. And then I think the build up to your brilliant try at the left hand side. Yeah, Matt Hansen. You know, you kicked it through the ruck. Yeah, and any other given day that comes back and it's so. The reality is, at the moment, that doesn't matter. You've beaten the World Cup champions. But I think what it tells you is, um, and certainly for the players who aren't worried about the World Cup, but do know they've got to keep getting better. And potentially, just sort of in a sort of Neo from the Matrix way, just sort of dodged a little bullet on the weekend. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that sets you sets you up for an epic awesome. You hope that that becomes their hallmark of the team as opposed to some other previous teams where that goes the opposite direction. I, I, can I just ask you about Mike Cat? Because when Mike Cat joined, after four or five games, it was COVID and the stadiums were empty and the team were transitioning from their previous style uh, to a newer style, which was keep ball alive, 
definitely try and offload if the offload is there and try and attack in waves while at the same time keeping some of the fundamentals of the Joe Schmidt era there was there were calls for Mike Cat like what's he doing who, who is this guy anyway? how, how, how can where's the signs of any evidence and now all of a sudden it's like well Mike Cat's a genius um, how will he have, have responded to that whole period do you think uh, oh Cassie <laughs> Yeah, there's a variety. There's a public way they've responded, right? Which will have been, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to work harder. I'm going to knuckle down. Um, now I hear everything you're saying. Uh, and then privately, <laughs> you, don't, you don't know Mike Cat that well. Oh, my God, he could pick a fight in a monastery, that kid. Um, <laughs> just so competitive, so sure, in a positive way of his own ability. Um, the skin as thick as a rhino. I mean, he's he's... Proper tough, my cat. Um, and um, yeah, so I hope that answers the question. He, he understands the way the media works. He understands the way the world works. He understands he's a South African-born Englishman who's coming over to coach an Ireland team that uh, wanted them to play like Leinster immediately, certainly behind the pack, and he's got to put his own thumbprint on it. would take a little bit of time to change. Um, but privately, I mean, the... the they're all, if you look at that coaching staff, Farrell, I mean, of all the coaching staffs you wouldn't want to have a fight with, <laughs> it's Ireland. I mean, Farrell, O'Connell, Easterby, Cat. I mean, bring all your mates and make it a long fight. Is Cat's is philosophy, do you, like, has, is that something that has always been what he wants? Because, like, my, my memory of him was a, a kicking at half who would run again. Oh, come on, you're better than that. Is my that, cat, a kicking fly half. Is that unfair? What, 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 what have you been watching? Well, Mate, cat, he would go from his own try line. Cat, right. I mean, okay. He would run from anywhere. What he played was, what can I see in front of me? Is there an opportunity? And he came alive. Uh, no question his impact in extra time in the World Cup. Huge. No question, away from home, when you needed to go to the wall against some strong sides, winning Paris, winning South Africa, you want Mike Cat. World Cup, make another final, 07 with a pub team, Mike Cat. This boy, um, you might not, you might not be his biggest fan, right? Uh, whoever's listening in Ireland, but trust me, you want him on your team. Um, he is a simply awesome human being. With a really, and I say this the right way, not an illegal, but a nasty edge that makes him a winner. The thing, Will, I would notice about that Irish coaching setup is you feel like the players are being allowed to express themselves. Um, when you contrast that with England at the weekend, and, and look, you shared a screenshot towards the end of the game, 71 minutes, point in it, drop goal, could have been an option in years gone by and wasn't taken. Um, has free thinking been almost coached out of this England team at the minute? No, look. Like all things in life, right, we want to make things binary, right? Looking at the states this morning, is it red, is it blue? Um, where do you stand on particular issues? I think I think you have to create a conversation about the conversation. I have to look at nuance and understand that um, we, there's obviously an element of confidence being drained from this current England time when they come under pressure. And therefore, when your confidence drains, you tend to go back into um, routine. What am I being told? Stay alive. Um, do, do, do the things that don't necessarily um, are representative of the picture you're seeing in front of you. And um, look, 
without bringing this back, but if I talk about that team, there were times when we really, really struggled. And it was like, oh my God, what do we do next? And when that happens, you stop playing, you stop looking, you stop seeing space, you stop making the right decisions and things sort of counter and, and roll on. And I just think over the course of last week, I actually at half time, I thought England were good last week up until half time. Uh, I mean, it was only 16-12. I thought they played well. I thought they played pace. They got Stewart into the game. Uh, uh, the pack was going great. The scrummage was solid in the first half. And then just things unravel. A thread became loose. And from there, the discipline goes a little bit. You chase the game. Um, you're not seeing space. Your set piece goes. And before you know it, you're staring at a 30 points to 29 defeat. Now, um, it's not baby out with bathwater time. But the problem is when you're an England team who's been struggling and when you're a coach who invites comment that the whole thing just has a multiplier effect when things go wrong. And England are, are in that position at the moment. And the conversation won't go away about Eddie. The conversation won't go away about the fly halves. They don't understand why Mario Toji is playing in the back row. So all these things that disappear when you pick an O'Brien and a Balakoon and, uh, and these players who come in and do such a fabulous job for you, uh, when you win, it's... These guys are great. When you lose, it's 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 tough. So I hope I'm not avoiding the question. I'm just sort of trying to say that when things are going well, it's that marginal gains keep building on each other. The same thing happens in reverse when things are going badly. And at the moment, I just think these England teams are stifled by the pressure, um, by their inability to pick win after win after win together. Does Eddie Jones care about that? external or does it reach a point where he actually has to be cognizant uh, look I mean I think I, I, I was at the game but I think I saw him go on if it, if it, I thought he went on Amazon Prime afterwards uh, he came out this week and said look I had an eye on the World Cup and I didn't focus enough on Argentina um, another bloke who's you know I was with James Haskell um, doing some pre-match stuff on the weekend. And, you know, he says, look, Eddie's been to three World Cups and Eddie's made three World Cup finals. Um, now, he wasn't always head coach. Um, I get that, but he was head coach twice. Um, and so he's got a track record. The problem is, is how often, how long do you maintain with the track record? And how long do you look elsewhere? The other thing is, by the way, is don't give me a good general. Give me a lucky general. And um, I'm not saying he's landed in muck and come up smelling of roses. But you look up that World Cup draw, I think Wales are the top seeds in the other pool. I mean, and because when the draw was done, and they're not, they're in tier three of world rugby right now. They're the ninth best team in the world. Australia are in with them and England have got Argentina in their group. Compare that with the other side and you go South Africa, Ireland and New Zealand, France. So two, two unbelievable teams. And in reality, the four semi-finalists are in the same half of the draw top four teams the year out from the World Cup are this, in the same half of the draw. If World Rugby doesn't need a quiet slap to say, you can't let that happen. In the meantime, the English fans are going, well, hold on a sec. We don't play any of those lot till the semi-final. Then, happy days. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got to get to the semi-final. We've just lost to Argentina, so we could go out in the group stages. So I hear everyone in Ireland <laughs> shouting at the TV, but if you do the maths and go, you're the fifth best team in the world and numbers one, two, three and four are in the other side of the draw, then I went, we're I, in. 
I'm with Haskell. I think uh, Eddie Jones is a, a World Cup coach and um, I think that uh, he'll be able to get stuff right in the, the few weeks in, in advance of it. And it's a really long tournament. That's the other thing. We were looking at the schedule. It's like five weeks for the group stages. You've a yeah. week off in the middle of it. It's, um, it's phenomenal. Listen, we'll let you go and enjoy the rest of the Babas. That sounds like it's going to be some week. Yeah, so, but I'm actually going to enjoy Wednesday, Thursday. Then I've got some bits and pieces to do. I'm in the real world now. Um, uh, although I am having some fun. I'm allowed to, I'm, I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners are, are on TikTok. Oh, yeah. I am having some fun with a mate. It's non-sponsored. We're just, because I get to go to all the games. I went to Cardiff, New Zealand on the weekend. I just took a mate along who's quite a good filmmaker who, who's in this TikTok world. And so we are at Rugby Mates on TikTok. And it's a sort of story of the day. We had a fabulous day in Cardiff, a less fabulous day in terms of result of Trickenham. But again, meeting some amazing people. And this week we're pitch side before the game, just getting unbelievable insight with a non-commercial hat on. Uh, it's just a, a real look behind the scenes on test match days at international venues. So at Rugby Mates on TikTok is if you like a giggle and if you're into that sort of thing, give us a follow. Good stuff. Great to have you with us, Will. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, gang. It's uh, Will Greenwood there. Very interesting stuff. Mm. My cat sounds like uh, exactly the type of guy we want on our side. Yeah, you don't want to mess with him. I mean, if Greenwood's saying that, he's seen him up close and personal. When he's been angry as well, you don't want to see my cat when he's angry. Um, yeah, scary stuff. And TikTok as well. So Will Greenwood has joined TikTok before I have. Have you? Are you on TikTok? I mean... Uh, you like, you'll glance at it. I have... I have Downloaded, deleted, downloaded, deleted, downloaded, deleted. Yeah. It's too, it's too addictive. I, that's that's the only reason I haven't joined it. My brother keeps telling me I have to join it, but like I don't need another reason to be looking at my phone constantly. But yeah, Will Greenwood sounds like he's a bit of crack on it. That's what you need. Like England at, at the weekend, I was looking at it last night. They were one to seven. They were fourteen point favourites against Argentina, and by all accounts, the, the atmosphere in Twickenham was fairly brutal if we'd had a bit longer I would have gone into um, so uh, Stuart Lancaster has done an interview with the Telegraph's podcast and um, as part of their review into a 35-5 victory over Scarlet there were also 5-10 clips of matches around the world this is uh, Leinster on um, Tuesday morning Tuesday or is it Monday I don't know anyway anyway uh, Emiliano Buffelli's finish which was obviously for Argentina yeah. against England capping a move that outflanked the England backline after Gonzalo Bertrano's superb pass and a neat midfield wraparound was familiar to Lancaster you must have seen it before he asks before elaborating on a move borrowed from the Leinster playbook <laughs> Michael Cech has done a great job but I think people have completely missed the point that Felipe Contopomi has gone in there mm. I spent four years working with Felipe at Leinster he's an outstanding coach and there's no doubt that Argentina are a serious force yeah I've seen that play before they executed it really well. Even though you know it's coming, it's really hard to defend. And then, so, you know, uh, Ireland are going to reach a World Cup final and Argentina are going to beat us. I'll be like, uh, saw it coming. Do yeah. we, are we happy that we reached the final? I know. Oh, no. yeah. yeah. Where do you, where does the line stop? Um, yeah, are you, I don't know, historically speaking, are you better going into a World Cup uh, with the confidence massively high and everyone expecting you to do well, like Ireland at the minute? Or are you better going in like England and Eddie Jones if they continue along these lines? Because if they play like they played against Argentina, they're not going to... I know Will said they played OK. They were only OK. Uh, like I, I can't see them beating the All Blacks or South Africa, for that matter. As, as he said himself, you know, playing these Southern Hemisphere teams early on, like Ireland have, maybe... Yeah, they don't advantage. have to. Uh, they don't have to, though. They don't have to. They reach a semi-final and play one, one good game, like they did... Last time, and they reached the World Cup final. Yeah, and expectations are low. Totally. Like I, 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 
I, I think Eddie Jones is not worried and I think he's doing a very good job this week of like saying yeah it's my fault my fault yeah. that takes a lot of the pressure off too the much focus on the World Cup itself he said and they have they have an extra game after the window um, oh, uh, closes so he will have a massive squad the one uh, caveat to all this is Courtney Laws has had a second head injury yeah. and is now out until after or at least at the start of the Six Nations uh, he missed a load of time having um had a, a previous head injury and Eddie Jones is saying that it's just about his health at this stage that that's what they're concerned about as opposed to getting him back to play rugby and I think anytime any of these players have head injuries we should talk about it because it just reminds you that like the sport at the moment as it's constituted isn't really that safe that was the thing watching the Ireland South Africa game you're like this is unbelievable to watch but then in the back of your head you're like uh, how do I feel about this these lads are literally damaging each other um, so yeah for our own entertainment purposes so there's the aspect of what a great game and there's the other aspect of yeah, yeah I don't feel good about this yeah, we talked about that with Keith Wood on the show last week he's going to join us in about uh, half an hour's time as well if you have anything uh, rugby related you want to speak about 0879180180 is the WhatsApp number or of course you can always leave a comment on the YouTube stream Noel Cal says I totally disagree with Shane he said before that he wouldn't do it also he's coaching against his sons be realistic I understand that have a heart Shane I understand that argument just because I mean, it's mine think of the Bally Bay players well, I mean, they're going to be grand they'll be grand yeah but I mean they've worked with them all year what the managers really do anyway he could go down to the match and sit in the dugout and not <coughs> as hands on as he normally is and but but be there in body that's and, worse is it worse that, that's phoning it in <laughs> but at least he's, he's, he's like what if he sees something and he's like oh one of my sons is about to cause chaos here yeah. don't you just let him I didn't say anything because he knows comes. yeah he knows his son's weak points you know. yeah, yeah, <clears throat> better than anyone it's an awkward one right uh, <clears throat> you can hear a clip in just a second from the latest Koi gig pod with Kathy McNamee Karen Duggan Emma Byrne and Emma Carroll here the guy and talk about oh my goodness <clears throat> the gang talk about what impresses them most about Chelsea forward Lauren James. We'll have Shells Captain Pearl Slattery in studio next. OTB AM. Ten minutes past eight this morning. I'm delighted to say Pearl Slattery is with us in studio this morning, uh, fresh from celebrating a double. How are you feeling? I feel great. Not so fresh yet, but uh, yeah, look, it was an incredible weekend. Um, unbelievable to do the double. Like, you know, been a long season, but to come out, I suppose, with the two trophies that were up for grabs just an amazing feeling it wasn't one of those doubles where you win the league early in the season and you focus on the cup or something like that it was down to the wire the last day um, for both games and against an Athlone side who were driving on in the league and then in the uh, cup as well so the last couple of weeks what was that like? Yeah, look, I've said to the girls and said to everyone, we were under a lot of pressure the last few weeks, like especially because we'd been on you know such a good run throughout the season. We had a, a big lead at one stage and then probably hit a dip at the wrong time. Um, and then coming into the, the final few weeks of the game, you know, we had to win every game. So we're in that look under, I suppose, enormous uh, a lot of pressure and uh, to go, I suppose, from the DNR game, Sligo to beat Wexford then down there, which isn't easy for a league title, knowing you had to win. Or possibly a draw if Atlone had slipped up in the other game, which they didn't. So to go down to Wexford last week and, and beat them the way we did and put the f- performance that we did under that pressure was immense, really. And then to come into the cup final against, as you said, a really, really good Atlone side who've done incredible this season. Um, yeah, to get a double was just a crazy feeling. I remember last year for the final, the cup final, there was it was it three thousand the crowd last year, and you're thinking that that is brilliant. Yeah. But then this year, over five thousand. I mean, yeah. to break the record, but not just break it, but smash it was a really really good sign. Yeah, and no, it was brilliant. Actually, we were having a laugh before the game. You know, we were trying to guess what the attendance would be, and a lot of us are saying, you know, four thousand, four and a half. Like so, to go 
above last year would go to 5,000. It's brilliant because obviously when we heard about the men's fixtures being moved to the same day, kind of worry will that affect the cup final and it didn't, which was brilliant. Like, um, you know, in fairness, that alone, they brought a great crowd and I suppose everyone's seeing all year the, the support we've kind of got and then a lot of neutrals as well around around the stadium. But great atmosphere on the day. Um, and looks brilliant for women's football, isn't it? Like, How do you come down from <clears throat> the high of winning the league, get everybody back focused and then back up again? Or do you just try and ride the wave for the whole week and go, right, let's not come down, let's get everybody keep like very intense and keep going? What, what's that? Like, what's the balance? Yeah, it is a challenge. I think you have to just continue what we were doing and that's what we said kind of as I've mentioned with the DLR Sligo Wexford game we just had to keep doing what we were doing um, and last year probably people said you know I suppose with the how the league ended last year we probably celebrated for too long last year where it was like two days straight and Noel came out I think in a few of his interviews and said look it was only a one night when we won the league this year but I think you just have to ride the wave continue doing what we we're doing enjoy the moment we just became league champions um, yeah so that, so that the experience is not to go completely mental you go a little bit mental yeah but look, look I always look back at last year because you know the way we won the league was so special yeah. we wouldn't change a thing like that weekend last last year will live long of it in, in our memories for the rest of our lives, you know. But I think, look, we enjoyed Saturday night, but, you know, we were in Tolka then on Sunday, sporting under 17. Then we went for dinner and then we were in training Monday morning. And again, it's just like a, a normal week. We were training Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, and uh, just continue. Everyone was fit. It's about really resting. You're in your last week, you're not going to get much fit. It's about just keeping the bodies as fresh as possible coming into it again. You know, after playing a tough game in Wexford against, you know, coming into a tough game against that Lowney fit, young um, and yeah look I think putting two great performances and to win a double as I said has been incredible Proper community feel as well we spoke to Alex Cavan about this last week like about all of Shelburne everyone as you say under 17's games I know you'll be part of the ultras this weekend for the, <laughs> the men's final in, in uh, the Viva like, but that's such an important thing and like you're someone you have 150 odd caps I think for, for mm-hmm. Shelburne at this stage now yeah. like it's it's Something special is happening at the club. Yeah, look, I've said the last two or three years has probably been, and not just because obviously we won the league last year, the last two or three years has been the best experience I've had in football in the game and I've been around a long time. And in fairness to the club, they deserve a lot of credit putting us under the one name. But I've said all week as well, it's very easy to go under the one name, but actually doing things right then and being treated the same I suppose and that's all you really want that equal the respect and we absolutely get it in the club and just the support we've been getting you know I've said it you know all year away games nearly feel like home games you get that much support and then we've had incredible numbers come out of Tolka I mean the last three or four years I'd have been, we'd have been lucky to get 100 people 150 at the game and that's been over 500 nearly every home game this season but you're right just that real community around the club everyone it's just that one club vibe now and as you said we were all at the 17th game after winning the league title we'd be all there on Sunday with the lads you know you know we've been getting lovely messages from the lads and stuff for the last few weeks you know coming up to the big game so there really is that one club feel and we're very lucky that thing you mentioned about the name it might seem to some people like a, a small thing but it's, it's it's so important like how 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 crucial is it that it's not the Shelburne women's team it's just Shelburne it's all the one yeah it's massive look I think the first year we came in it's when we came under the one banner it's like right how is this going to look now it didn't just happen overnight it took you know three or four years but every year it's just getting better and better and as I said a lot of the people behind the scenes of the club deserve a lot of credit um, the way we're treated at Tolka Park um, the way we're just treated constantly now has been massive for us and I mean as the women's team and women's football that's all you really want that respect and to not feel any different that 
you know, we get what the lads do and it, we don't feel like it's shells, women, shells, men. We're just Shelburne FC now, which is, you know, very important. Um, obviously, Shamrock Rovers are coming in to the league this year and there were some talks that maybe Shamrock Rovers and P-Mount might end up being the same entity. That's not going to happen. P-Mount are going to stay. P-Mount and Shamrock Rovers are going to stay uh, with their own team. Um, it's interesting your instinct about that. Obviously, Rohini and, and Shells did come together and it's been hugely successful. <clears throat> yeah, look, I think... We were we were Heaney players at the time, and when we heard about the shells thing, we didn't really similar to Piedmont. We didn't really want to lose their name at the time, and for a lot of us as senior players at that time at Rohini, it was a difficult one. But you look back now and think it was the best thing the club have ever done because at Rohini we only had a senior women's team, and Shelbourne all of a sudden were offering all these underage teams and. We're reaping the awards of that now. We didn't see it straight away, but you see now in years to come. But look. I'm not obviously involved in P-Mount but I can imagine there's been a lot of hard work that's gone on into the club the last few years and it's very hard to just let that go Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see what players actually go to Rovers do they all stay as P-Mount I'm not sure but look I think the way the game is going now any League of Ireland men's team who's coming in now and, and going to have a women's team is only good for the league in terms of facilities standards and stuff like that but it's definitely an interesting one to see what, what way it plays out in terms of P-Mount going as 2023 Yeah no for sure your your day job is with the FEI is that right? Yeah So what's the what's the impact that you're seeing of the women's team over the last four or five years as the uptick in coverage has happened in terms of participation levels and, and also it's not just participation I guess it's the skill level improving like what what is the actual impact of the uh, increased coverage and the perception of the women's team changed in the way it has yeah I think it's just the investment now that's gone into the women's game has been massive like I've always said the last two or three years we were kind of at tipping point in terms of women's football in the country and we we just needed to qualify for something and now we've done it it's like I can't wait to see now you know how it affects the women's game now going forward in terms of grassroots levelling up but I just think the investment now when you invest in something the women's game's only going from strength to strength around the world and especially in our country now which is brilliant and I obviously work in grassroots and just a number of clubs around the country now have an interest in their sport and I think it's just we're just seeing women's football a lot more as I said that investment's been massive and I think we're in a really good place in terms of the women's game domestically and with the women's national team but I think it's important that we don't just stand still now that we keep striving for better you know yeah so what does that mean does that mean like uh, upskilling the coaches the parents who are volunteering all of a sudden and giving them some Drills, like what, what's the what's the, what are the nuts and bolts? Because um, Irish football, there's like this breakout moment when Jack Charlton arrives and we qualify for all the tournaments. And retrospectively, if you look back at it, we didn't really take advantage, advantage of that. Yeah. Now, you hope that as a as a race, we've learned that actually what we need to do is make sure that there are loads of qualified coaches going out and giving access to proper training and telling everybody the most important thing is just keep the ball with you all day mm. the, the amount of time you spend with the ball it directly correlates with how good you're going to be with the ball of course like, you yeah, know yeah. Um, and don't be worried about playing other sports too that's okay but just make sure you come back to us and keep them involved for as long as possible like all those lessons that, and also investment the, from the government is key thing right mm. so on a nuts and bolts level what do you think are the most important things that we can do to make sure that we do take advantage of the fact we've qualified for the World Cup I think it's providing everybody the opportunity to stay involved in the sport young girls have an opportunity no matter what their ability is around the country to play football and I, I go back to that investment one it is a big one but as you said it's upskilling making sure you know 
every club has the opportunity to provide women's football that's a big one and the women's game is no different than anything else it takes hard work it takes good people within clubs it takes you know as you said volunteers so it's how look the amount of requests I get from clubs and it might seem a basic thing to me because I've worked in the FBI for so long but a lot of clubs around the country haven't known how do we start up girls football Yeah, do you know what I mean we have a few girls at the academy but how do we actually do it as you said a lot of people that are involved in the women's game and the women's clubs around the country our parents are people who are probably not as educated as much so it's as, as you said providing that education to them and whatever I suppose whatever way they want to get involved in the game whether that's coaching refereeing administrating um, I think there's an education piece for it all and it's making sure that we we provide that you know the FEI provide a lot of things but as I said still a lot of clubs around the country that actually don't know what's available and it's making sure that they do know so if, if the advice to the clubs is ask and there is Definitely yeah, like there. we've look, we've a lot of programs as well at grassroots level um, on how to grow participation. But I just find it mad that you know there's still a lot of clubs around there that probably are not that educated on it. Yeah, but definitely I've seen in my role anyway. I would develop a lot of programs for the clubs on how to get girls into the game, like the Disney Playmakers, and we provide a menu of programs for different age groups now. So it's just getting that education piece out there. As I said, we've a lot of clubs who who do run the programs, but for me, there's still a lot of clubs who could be educated on that and I think we're getting there um, which is important Like uh, as you know we had Joey Malone your assistant manager in with us uh, quite recently and like mm-hmm. he, he spoke very eloquently about the need for maybe professionalism in the game to some degree and, and I know even from like we were talking about it this morning in the meeting like the amount of players you might have lost even from last year's cup final over to England or Scotland or wherever um, like do you think there needs to be some conversation had there in terms of even clubs getting financial incentives when they lose players at least it, it numbs the, the the pain of losing a player you get some money in and they can at least invest it yeah look I've been around the game for many years played with Katie and stuff like that and look at Katie's career now if there was anything tied down where Raheem or Shells could have got something from Katie like we all know Irish football we're not you know the money's not you know it's not the club's need help they need backing and especially when you're losing like we lost Saoirse, Chloe Jess Sue mid-season break this year we'd lost Emily Weed and Jamie Finn last year and a few others it's getting nothing from them um, it's difficult but as you said for the club it probably eases that pain a little bit if you know you're getting compensation to help the club or to you know <clears throat> support the club when we do lose those players and keep developing the players that we have got there and I suppose to help the club like we wouldn't be making massive money on ticket sales and stuff like that and any compensation would be really good but I suppose you know since I've been with Heaney and Charles I've been you know kind of used to losing players but I definitely think something has to come in for Irish football clubs that when you do lose like you know last year just felt like clubs could just come in and take care of players at any stage which is it's very difficult in how you deal with it I suppose as an experienced player myself, like myself Rachel Noel it's just I suppose making sure the girls there you know and we're very good at that ourselves I feel like at the start of the season girls know that they can play their part no matter how they lose and, but yeah I definitely think the compensation piece would, would help he was talking about making sure that the league is seen as a professional league and so therefore FIFA would say well if you're taking players from a professional league you have to pay for them that would be a good start would it? To get to make the league officially a professional league. Yeah, I think so. But I think I don't know what podcast was it a few weeks ago. It might have been Emma and the girls. But like, what does professional look like? And that's what we need to figure out as Irish clubs. Like, we always just 
we've always been, I suppose, amateur and it's supporting the clubs and how we do go professional and making sure that's sustainable. I think that's the important thing for Irish clubs and things for the likes for yourselves, Rovers coming in might be a little bit easier, but what about the other clubs in the league and how we support them and make sure it's sustainable for them going forward? Yeah, that was kind of, I think, in the in the background of the whole Galway situation as well. I just want to ask you about um, Heather O'Reilly coming over. <coughs> Obviously, um, it was a big name. It was a massive uh, wealth of experience. Um, what 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 was that actually like when that happened? Yeah, it was. Look, I was obviously you now celebrating Sunday night, and I was, I was speaking to her. So I'll never forget the year Heather O'Reilly came and played. It was like I never. I remember Noel ringing me and telling me, and I thought this is you know the most bizarre conversation <laughs> you know I've ever heard. It was just mad. Like in a fairness to. Heather and now like she contacted the club which was great it wasn't as if we went and she got in touch with us the club thought well why not in terms of putting a shining light on the league on the women's football um, in this country and look she came in <clears throat> she obviously had two kids hadn't played in a few years um, it took her a while to settle in I think and once she did settle in she definitely played her part like I mean her CV her experience speaks for herself so she's brilliant around the group um, she obviously played in Europe with us and then went back to the States for a while and then came in for the last few weeks and for instance she's been immense she's been brilliant around the group she's been brilliant with Noel very humble for someone with CV you know and um, to be able to celebrate I suppose the league and the cup where the last few weeks has been brilliant um, but yeah really bizarre I think but I think great for the league great you know she was a great um, person to have around you know what I used to say to the young girls look take as many little nuggets from Heather as you can she's been there done it all like so yeah like you can't say that it had this massive impact in terms of you guys winning the league and the cup this year from a playing perspective mm. it's probably uh, maybe maybe it's longer term maybe it's nothing but like it's certainly an experiment worth trying and who knows what it leads to in the future yeah you're right I don't think you know in terms of the league and the cup it made a big difference she definitely played her part in Europe and fairness when she came back there the last few weeks she was she was flying and you know training was was flying but just in terms I think of shining the light on the league and on shells yeah. I mean the coverage you got the first few weeks was insane which can only be a good thing I think for our league you know You mentioned Europe there that's obviously um, I mean I'm going to give you a little <coughs> while to celebrate and take a bit of time off and enjoy yeah. yourself but like that has to be major next season where it's like okay uh, last year getting to grips with it fully understanding exactly what the requirements were and what the level is like but next year presumably you'll be feeling a bit more confident about challenging and, and taking that challenge on yeah I think look 2016 was the last time we played in Europe so for a lot of the group even for Noel and Joey and stuff like that it was a new experience for the club and we really enjoyed it we learned from it we won the first game and we played the Icelandic team then the second game who were full time and you could just see that they were full time yeah. in the game the fourth game it took a lot out of us but um, definitely think now you have to build on that you'd want to be doing well now obviously depending on the draw you get but hoping that you get a decent draw that you could I suppose go to the next stage because even I think financially now when we went to 2016 you got a certain we obviously were Rahini at one stage as well got to the last 32 and I know the financial wasn't great at the time but now if we'd have won Air Force two games this year I think the financial gain would have been massive for the club so yeah. that has to be an incentive you know for next year 100% There's a nice split between the experienced heads and the, the younger players as well in, in the Shells team like you're even looking at the likes of Abby Larkin it's Abby 17 or yeah. like <clears throat> for her like speaking of Heather O'Reilly for someone like that just to even have her in the squad like Abby can go for another 15 years or more and to have, have that experience of even being in a squad with Heather O'Reilly is going to be incalculable. Like, that's unbelievable for mm. someone like that. Yeah, no, look, it was massive. Even for me, like, just to... 
as I said, the conversations were about our career, how she's still playing. Like, you know, at one stage I was, I'm, I'm the oldest at Shells and all of a sudden a 37-year-old Heather O'Reilly comes in and I'm going, well, do you know, how have you lasted this long? Like, diet training-wise. So I was even taking little nuggets, but as I just said, for the younger girls it's been brilliant. But, you know, we are lucky with that mix of experience and youth and <clears throat> that's the great thing about the squad this year I think everybody played their part from experience to, to young players we'd obviously lost the girls at mid-season break and then coming out of Europe we, you know we'd lost Jess Gargan and Rachel Graham to injuries and young girls had to come in and step up and they just did brilliant and that would be amazing for their development going forward now for next year for us as well you know How important has the coverage been because we've spoken before about the fact that you know billboards and buses and, and even the TG Car coverage as well has been great for the, for the WNL like the likes of that and the marketing and the P- PR and, and, and we saw it with the women's team as well seeing the likes of Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan on buses like creating actual role models and faces and names that, that uh, young people can remember is so important yeah it's seeing it isn't it I think that's the biggest thing now I think this year we got 10 league games on, on TG Car which is unbelievable and I don't know if you've seen the you know Wexford game or the coverage that they did was sensational like it really is unbelievable for, for me it's always about the coverage is great and obviously having the cup final on RT is brilliant every year but it's for me seeing it, the young girls next generation I suppose knowing what's there for them if they continue to play um, and stay involved in their sport and the big thing for me now is obviously the coverage is great but it's getting as many people to the games to Tolka to the, the grounds around the league um, it's the next stage definitely and we're definitely on an up, you know, uphill slope in terms of that and for me now it's important just to keep growing that Yeah and the World Cup obviously next year is kind of hopefully this massive breakout crossover moment where the viewership goes from 300,000 to a million and everyone's mm. like around the telly because it's kind of perfect time Saturday morning everybody's going to be able to watch the games and then go out and play afterwards Yeah yeah it's pretty, and look the first game against Australia and all this bad is it like, just like you know that streamy stuff really for the women's game and as I've said to you I think we've been at a tipping point the last few years for the women's game and now to qualify for that group of it and all was brilliant and you're hoping it feeds down into the league as well how I don't know but look you know you've the likes of Anya Abby Lark and Jesse Stapleton who are in and around the squad that play in their league currently so yeah. you'd be hoping somehow it feeds into the league you know it has to right mm. it has to and we have to learn the lessons from Italian 19 yeah. and you're already eight and go okay well what was the problem that, that didn't translate into sustained success at underage level or players coming through but um, yeah no Oh, fingers crossed. Um, what were the celebrations like? They seem to have been pretty good. They were, yeah, they were very, <laughs> they were very good. As I said, we halted the the league just to one night this year, but um, yeah, Sunday night. Look, in fairness, the club did great stuff for us. They booked us into the Clayton Hotel. We had like obviously a little function room. Um, we stayed overnight at the hotel we grew up and uh, yeah, a few of us continued into Monday but I mean you give up that's why you give up so much isn't it you know, we train three times a week play on Saturday you miss on so much you know nine, ten months of your life really and yeah. um, you know to spend those two days together just enjoying I suppose the celebration as I said you're fighting for two trophies when you start a league campaign and to finish the season with both it'd be wrong not to celebrate it really oh, 100% and uh, Sorry, like you talking about the games being on TV, but a score a cup final goal as well when it's on TV is not a bad, not a bad feeling. I'd say. I actually keep forgetting that I scored. I was just so happy that we won, um, and I'm not, you know, <laughs> normally a goal scorer. But yeah, I keep forgetting that I actually scored. It's obviously nice, but look to go two and up. I think in terms of the game, we probably made our pressure count in the first half, and um, that was important for us. And look, the two goals weren't the prettiest goal you see but you don't really care once they go in the back of the net and in fairness that alone they were very good in the second half they came at us and 
I remember looking at a few of the girls, you know, 60 minutes, we were kind of dead on our feet. It was like the whole season, it just hit us. And, you know, you're so close to a double then. And yeah. they're coming at you in the second half. Just look, to come out with a clean sheet then. And to win 2 0 is just, yeah, it's brilliant. Like. Yeah, it's dream stuff. Uh, Pro, congratulations. Thanks very much for joining yeah. us today. And best of luck with everything. When does the new season training start again? Is that, has it even been announced? Um, no, but January, February sometime. You're, you're but I'm not even thinking about group. that at the moment. Notifications off. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're going to be flicking through the sports pages next. First, the latest episode of the Football Pod with Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue is out now, alongside Tommy Rooney, of course. They're joined this week by AFL star Mark O'Connor, and in this clip, he talks about his short-term Im- approach to life in Australia and how it helped him settle. It was easy at the time because I had a very short-term view in the whole thing. Um, I remember sitting in the Hogan watching the semi-final that year um, where the press happened and... Yeah, we pressed them <laughs> Dublin's kick out and it was almost like a kind of red room. 16, no, 16. would have been 2016, yeah. Yeah, two goals, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was almost like a revolutionary kind of thing. And, um, <laughs> yeah, oh, press. Minutes, I, Mark, they were cracked at that stage. <laughs> who, who, won, yeah. who won that game? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I remember, I just remember <laughs> thinking that's that's where my future kind of was. Um yeah. And then by the, because my knees were just no good, um, I kind of saw the Australian opportunity as a way to basically get a pre-season under my belt and learn a lot about my body and how a professional environment worked while also getting my knees right. And then I was like, right, I could go home after that. <laughs> right. And I'd still be there in time for a championship. Were you thinking that? Really? Yeah, wow. I was. And I actually told, <laughs> I told the club that in the meantime, um, <laughs> you, and I'll be heading away here in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, see, I only told him like yeah in the past year and a half, and they found it very funny. Um, but no, I was thinking that. Yeah, I was just thinking um, how much I'd actually get out of it in terms of yeah, just learning about professional environments, fixing my body, getting fitter, and then everyone taught me how tough uh, preseason was, and I was like, geez, I might as well do a preseason. <laughs> To, to gain that experience too. Um, and then I was like, I'll flake away after that. But by the time it came, by the time the first game came, I was like, I might as well try and play a few games. And <laughs> and then I played a few games in the twos kind of thing. And then try, I got my I got my debut fairly early. And then I was like, geez, I might. And then I got dropped a week after. Because um, I, I didn't even know like what was happening, to be honest. I was just... It was so fresh. I didn't know if I was playing well or playing poor. And then yeah. I was like, geez, I wouldn't mind trying to get a regular spot in this team now. And then it just kept, their steps kept coming in the way. Well, one of the great what might have been. Um, I'm sure Owen Sheehan is watching Mexico. Going, no, come back. <laughs> yeah, it must be tough when you're like, the thing with Kerry is at least they have the strength and depth. Now, you, you said yourself, if Mark was, was home, where, what level would they be at? Like players like that. Yeah. There, would there have been a six in a row? Well... Probably not. You know, it, it, one or two players can make a difference. Well, they can in, in a game that's, you know, a matter of inches. That was Mark O'Connor um, speaking on this week's episode of The Football Pod with Paddy Andrews, James Donahue, and Tommy Rooney. It's uh, live every Monday. Search for The Football Pod in the Go Loud app and subscribe. Now, at 8.35, it is time for the sports pages. There are so many idiots out there, so many spoofers. There's a lot of horse. <laughs> I think he's a total spoofer. What should be a spoofer? He's a bullshit. Ah, no, I'm a, come on, don't, don't be, no, I'm not. Yes. No. 
Yeah, very interesting um, sports pages for you this morning. Uh, where is the bit that I wanted to start with, which was uh, Yelena Djokovic. Mm. Djokovic's wife hits out at suspicious video critics. So I, by this stage, I think, if you haven't seen the suspicious video, in inverted commas, that Yelena Djokovic is hitting out at, um, Ulysses Barrio is the guy who's in the... Um, He's in the crowd and he hands a drinks bottle over to a ball boy, I think, who then gives it to Novak Djokovic. But he mixes something in it and it's like a specific bottle that he's given him. And this is um, Simon Briggs' story and it's in the Telegraph this morning. Uh, so the video has racked up more than 12 million views on social media. Um, not everything you see is controversial. It could be private. Is that allowed? Yelena Djokovic slamming the video. Uh, Damien Riley, who is a speechwriter and columnist who's often published <coughs> in the Spectator magazine, recorded the video. <coughs> and he called out the collective tennis media for their lack of curiosity in Djokovic's methods of refueling. So, uh, you need to ask some bloody questions here, tennis acts. But the thing is, there are no, there's like two or three full-time tennis writers and there's not enough of them anymore to be able to actually kind of... Well, there are, obviously. Uh, one is enough, but... Um, uh, so anyway, the video, right? Yelena Djokovic takes to social media. I think it's Instagram. I think that's the Djokovic's mm. favourite medium. He will talk when he is ready to talk. This whole nonsense about making people speak about something they are not ready because others are impatient is absurd. Sit a bit in silence. Sit a bit in silence. We will speak to you when we want to. Uh, mind yourself more. Not everything you see is controversial. It could be private. Is that allowed? They're... they're what they're saying is that they're developing the new version of Red Bull or something that is going to mm. give you wings and it's totally legal and it's going to be fine and we're we're so smart. Wait till we tell you all about it. Exactly. But yeah. it's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to make us bloody rich because, you know, he's become the best tennis player in history on the back of this amazing supplements. Um, she also retweeted a thread from Serbian journalist Anna Mitric, you know, which argued that there are a lot of reasons to think Djokovic has nutritional supplements and sports drinks made specifically for him. There are a lot of reasons to think he might have stuff made specifically for him. There really are. Of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, this is not the first time, obviously, Djokovic has mystified observers through his use of powders or supplements during matches. At Wimbledon this summer, he seemed to be inhaling something from a drinks bottle. The vapors, the vapors. That's what it was, the vapors. Uh, when asked what he was using, he replied, magic potion, that's all I can say. It helps. You'll find out soon. But I can't speak about it now. Mm, that no. is all he can say. Yeah. The siege mentality in the Djokovic family must be exhausting. It must get so tiring having to come out and defend all the time. Yeah, interesting to see what this magic potion is. Well, it's, uh, he's saying it's... Um it's going to come out as one of the supplement, let's say, lines that I'm doing right now with drink and a few other things, sports drinks, etc. So that's all it is. It's like the, the latest modern day equivalent of, I don't know, what are you kids drinking these days to, what is it? I don't know what the kids drink, unfortunately. I'm beyond that now. No, come on. What are you drinking? Uh, water. Um, you, you mean supplement-wise? What's the new Red Bull? Well, uh, it didn't, wasn't... Um, uh, Monster. Yeah, good shout. What's the clown... Uh, quarterback for the Broncos who I've forgotten Russell Wilson was drinking like special ionised water that was going to cure a concussion yeah, yeah. and then I was like uh, Russell you can't say that and he's like why not because it, it doesn't cure concussion <laughs> oh okay fair point fair point Yeah. so sports people and their made up drinks um, you know 
so I'm sure it's all perfectly. Well, a lot of people take the protein drinks. Obviously, you put the protein in with the with your fruits, and you would just tell us what it is. You yeah, know? yeah, that's what well, I would take myself. You no, know, but there's going to be a line of Djokovic. Does McGregor have a line of drinks? Is there something? Probably, yeah, something. Apart from the effect. alcohol, I mean, obviously he's got a couple of lines of alcohol stuff. Uh, Shell set for Saints windfall. This is on the back of the Herald and also in the Irish Independent this morning. Dan McDonald's story. We talked about this a little bit earlier on, but if you just joined us, it's really interesting. Um, the brain behind Michelin and Brentford has left Brentford and set up um, an investment firm. And uh, so it's two Danish guys, and they've got funding from Serbia. The theme this morning, and now they're interested in uh, investing in Shelburne as part of their portfolio clubs around the world. So, um, I mean, on the face of it, you'd have to say uh, any of this level of investments would be good. The characters involved seem like serious people who've got a massive track record of success um, off Broadway, and it would be brilliant if we mm. could have a little bit of that. Um, and Jack Cohen saying, "Aren't I the best team in the world?" And you know, no big deal. It's, uh, we're not going to not going to celebrate. Well, this is the Reese McLennan thing. Be confident. We're the best team in the world. Yeah, great picture on the front of the Telegraph this morning from Qatar. It's like, hmm, doesn't quite seem like they're ready. Uh, this is the stadium for England's first game. And um, who would have seen this coming? The Qatar oh, Wallace is already there. So uh, yeah, Seth Ladder obviously saying, "Oh yes." Yeah, beacon of morality. A bit, bit of a mistake to go to Qatar, lads. What were you thinking? I mean, yeah. you know, too small. The country's too small. Nobody could. And the, the human rights thing—that seems to be important now. Seems oh yeah, be, yeah, yeah. Fair play to It wasn't when we were doing it. No, no. Uh, Katie McCabe. We've talked a little bit about this, um, saying that. Uh, she won't be watching the World Cup because there's other stuff going on in her life and she's busy. Bitter Martin O'Neill is doing himself no favours with moaning routine. Philip Quinn. This morning talking about Martin O'Neill. Mm. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I've been in press conferences before with, with Martin O'Neill and Philip was, of course, one of the journalists there. They can get touchy these press conferences. They, they used to do quite often with, with Martin O'Neill, but that's just his character, it's his personality. They rub people up the wrong way. We'll find out in the book. I'm looking uh, forward to the book. Actually, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna read the book. Yeah. It'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah, stories galore. Yeah, it's uh, 8:42 this morning. The other stories in the papers today. Um, well, Pat Gilroy's back with the Dubs. According well, to the, well, that's one of the well potentially. Uh, yeah, I haven't um, haven't been able to stack that up um, with anybody. Uh, so the headline is Giller Instinct and it's um, an exclusive on the back of the star but obviously the star and the mirror are sharing resources so it's also in the mirror this morning. Uh, X-Dubs boss Pat linked his role in Desi's Dublin backroom team. It's, there's no um, there's no quotes from um, anybody so we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it could happen. Roy Keane came back joined Ireland yeah I'd be surprised Gilroy seems the type of fellow who needs to lead and be the number one guy but uh, no maybe if he wants to come back in well um, I mean there are roles that you could have where like he could talk to certain individuals at various stages like he you know create a role for him yeah yeah but but, like I don't know I mean I don't know it'd be a good addition we'll see I definitely um, we'll we'll try and stack that story up today uh, Carl Milani's with us. Carl, good morning to you. How are you? Hello, lads. How's it going? What's going on? Yeah, that's interesting about uh, Packle Roy actually, and uh, obviously you have the Jerome Johnson thing as well. <laughs> which what do you, what, what's your take on that? You have uh, the northern pronunciation there. What was his, what was his surname? Jerome Johnson. No, the first one. Gilroy. Gilroy. Jerome Johnson. Yeah. Where, where's the emphasis? The emphasis on the wrong syllable is it? Well, the 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 northerners would have the second syllable. 
Okay, Gilroy. What what would you say? I would say Gilroy. You'd say Gilroy. Like, I would say Gilroy. Right, that's the answer. Oh, okay, I see. I see. So you said that's it the first time, said. and then when I asked yeah. you, you were like, oh, I don't know, I can't remember, and then changed it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd say Gilroy as well, yeah. This is fascinating stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, Carl, on you go. <laughs> but I was actually at, I was saying to you on, on Monday that I was at the Bally Bay match last weekend, and uh, Mark Doran did the interviews, and I think Jerome Johnson was... I don't think he did any interviews afterwards at all. Right. And Mark Doran is his assistant, uh, who's a very highly rated coach as well, by the way. He's, yeah, yeah. He was involved with Down, and he's going to be involved with Clare yeah. uh, next year. So it's not like they're they're going to be without a top-class manager on the sideline, but it's a very interesting thing. But I think the fact that he flagged it, it appears at the start of the season that this might happen. Uh, I agree with you. Okay? That's your get-out-of-jail yeah, card. Yeah. <laughs> Shane, on the other hand, he's having none of this. Yeah, like, ah, oh, Monaghan again, like having our backs. But everybody's like, Monaghan, what are they getting? Three, three in Dublin, Dublin, nothing. Getting. I don't have kids, to be fair. And yeah. if I had kids playing on a team, maybe I'd think otherwise. Well, maybe so, you teach them a lesson. Well, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Give them. Should have listened listen to me, shouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There is that element of yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah. It depends on how old they are, and if like you've just been on the midterm break with them. Yeah. I don't know. How do you feel about it, Cal? I think I think it's okay if you flagged it with him at the start. Early I can understand, doors. and he's obviously passionate about Kilku. But three sons and six nephews—is it on? I mean, it's unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is tricky. It is tricky. Yeah. There's one other thing I want to talk about. Uh, Gordon Darcy has a good line. Do, are we finished with that? Do, do you have more? That's no, okay. okay. My gut feeling is that Razzy Rasmus and Jack Nenabar had one eye on the World Cup and would have extracted enough from the game to use against us next September. It's like they're fucking Razzy playing fucking chess and we're all sitting there playing checkers again. Long term plan. Well, you know, bad tempered, big baby Razzy, but he is also incredibly smart. That's the problem with them. Um, you know, Cartman, yeah. Cartman also a big baby, but also very uh, devious and smart. Well, yeah, who takes more out of that game at the weekend? Like, but we take quite a lot out of it, I think. Too, yeah, for sure. And if we'd been beaten, I think we would have taken quite a lot out of it as well. It's like, okay, like we did score a mall try against them. Yeah, which nobody. Would we call did stop them from scoring. Now, in the first half, when was it? Well, I can't remember. Was it nil all or three nil? They were pounding away at our line and got a penalty, and they decided to kick it. And I do think that maybe in they would have kept pounding away at the line to try and draw a card I just wonder if like it was a really good sign for us we're like oh that's a bit of a win for us but why did they do it what was the motivation behind that it was like okay we see now we're not going to I don't know I don't know I mean the players didn't want to lose and South Africa came and said they wanted to win every game so I don't think that they were playing to lose Mm. at all I just uh, it's interesting Darcy's floating this boat yeah getting the pressure back off Ireland I like it Uh, if South Africa had a proper kicking fly half they probably would have won the game. Maybe, but they wouldn't have been able to run in the second half True. and stretch the defence and cause us the problems that they did cause us when they were chasing the game. So Interesting to see how South Africa fare in the remainder of their tests. Like, oh, especially yeah. the England game. I can't wait to see that one. We'll be watching. We will be watching. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What else have you got for us? Uh, well, Ireland and Pakistan in action in their third women's one-day international in Lahore this morning. Ireland posting a target of 226 and Pakistan currently 28 for the loss of one wicket. That's after eight overs there. Uh, Pakistan have already wrapped up that three-match series and the two sides will meet in two, uh, three T20 uh, internationals next week. Uh, in the T20 World Cup semi-finals, New Zealand in action uh, today. They're playing their semi-final against Pakistan in Sydney this morning. Uh, in football last night, Brentford and Everton both 
exited the Carabao Cup last night. Uh, League two strugglers Gillingham got the better of Brentford in a penalty shootout. Everton lost 4-1 to Bournemouth. Tonight, Creven Kelleher set to start for Liverpool. His first start of the season against Derby County. That's also in the third round. The big tie is the meeting of Manchester City and Chelsea. We mentioned Jerome Johnson, who won't be taking charge of Bally Bay this weekend, and Pat Gilroy being linked with a return to the Dublin senior football management team. In snooker, Jimmy White, one match away from the first round proper at the UK Championship. He takes on Dominic Dale today with the first of six frames progressing to the first round proper. And there's an eight-race card at Dundalk this afternoon, the first off there at 20-2. to two. Jimmy, Jimmy White reeling in the ears. Well, what happened? Sorry, I missed it. He's one game away from qualifying for the UK Championships proper, which will be huge. It's one of the, the three Triple Crown tournaments. But he's properly playing really, really good stuff. Like, he beat Stephen Maguire yesterday, as you said. Really? So yeah. 6-4, and, like, so impressive. Yeah. He won 6-0 the day before. I can't remember who the opponent was that day, but... He's, uh, he's properly practicing at the minute, Jimmy White. Like He really wants to get back yeah. to a level. He's convinced he can go on and win a World Championship. He, of course, lost six finals infamously, but he, he'll never get to that level again. But fair play to him. He's given it a go. Yeah, I actually saw a video of him, a clip of him arguing with a referee. Yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that yeah. shows that he still cares a lot. 100%. Now, I think he might, was he in the wrong with that video? Uh, I think the, the referee was, was, was winding him up a little bit as yeah, well. Yeah, the referee laughed. laughed, yeah. At an important moment in the game, and so Jimmy, I, th- I can see why he did it. But that shows the passion still burns. Yeah, I love it. Ronnie O'Sullivan had a bit of controversy at the weekend as well. He, yeah, Ronnie being a bit of a dick. Well, like, come on. So he wins the champion of champions, he beats Ju- Judd Trump, Trump hits a one four seven. And he's six two up. He's six one up. Yeah, he, Trump hits a one four seven to make it six two. Yeah. So and what? Good gracious, Ronnie! Like record equaling greatest snooker player of all time. He's like, oh, well done, Judd. Normally, that's this is what this is Judd Trump. Who, bear in mind, <laughs> when Ronnie's, ha- Ronnie's having his meltdown, is like, oh, yeah. Judd, I love you. Oh. <laughs> and like, and now it's like, screw you, Judd. Yeah. Scored a one four seven with six one. <laughs> Ruined my day. Like, come on. Yeah. Yeah, the, the etiquette there would be to go over and shake your opponent's hand who's just hit a one four seven. Ronnie just. Walks off like it's nothing. Um, I yeah, I kind of yeah, I gotta admire it because it's in the middle of a final. Yeah, do you know if it's in an exhibition? No, 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 no! Come on. <laughs> well, like if 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 he goes over and hugs him and shakes his hand, don't and hug him. Just go. Well done. That wasn't bad. I'm yeah. gonna kill you. Okay, fair. It would have been quite simple to just shake his hand and move on and just say well done and walk into the toilet and have you at the break. Yeah, it's, a, it's the most runny thing ever. It was, it was very runny, and maybe that's why you love him. I don't know. <laughs> OTBAM brought to you with Gillette in association with Movember. Effortless shave, magnificent mo. You can sign up or donate now at Movember.com. Thanks very much for that call. That's, um, that's pretty much what's in the papers this morning and your sports news. Uh, Daisha Dude says Tom Mullally coached Nace versus Glenn Moore of Kilkenny last year. No drama. I think for a lot of people it's relatively straightforward. Did Tom have three sons playing for. Well, is that the caveat then? Glenn Moore and. I don't know because John McEntee of course didn't have three sons and six nephews playing for cross against the Tibbert a few years ago but I don't know if that matters it's still your club no maybe it does matter you've got sons <laughs> you're literally you're literally telling players to go out and mark your sons and here's the weak points and here's how to wind there's that great clip that we play all the time of Harry Redknapp um, uh, was it Les Seeley telling somebody to go out and do Jamie and he's like yeah hang on a second wait that's my son he's like but <laughs> and in fairness that, that's yeah. all professionalism um, so that's slightly different yeah. uh, right it is 8.51 Keith Wood is with us Keith good morning to you how are you uh, I'm very good sure how are you we're having a debate this morning right there's um, an Ulster Club Football Championship where match where the, the manager has decided that uh, of one club that he can't manage his team this week because he's playing against his own club and his three sons are playing you've got three sons 
<laughs> Could you ever coach against them? I I never coached against them. No, I, I coached them a little bit when they were smallies. Um, but even that, I think, is too hard for me. So I fully get it why a coach wouldn't coach. I remember um, on on a Lions tour, actually, Gatlin coached against his son. Oh yeah, that's right. Brin. So that was quite. Uh, I'd say that was quite a challenge for him, you know. Um, See, I thought maybe you'd be one of those dads who'd be like, yeah, I'm going to teach these three a lesson now and just remind them that I'm the big dog here. Yeah, no, I've given up on that idea. I'm not <laughs> the big dog anyway. They're, they're all bigger than me at this stage, which is quite disturbing. Well, the Farrell family have done it, haven't they? Andy's yeah. gone, uh, said Irish players out to, to destroy his son, Owen. Yeah. Bit of, bit, of, bit of a weakness on his left side tackling, maybe. Or maybe he doesn't say anything about it. Anyway, let's move on. Ireland against South Africa before we talk about the, the um, Munster selling out Porky Cui, which is like a really interesting little um, kind of consideration in all of the conversations we've been having recently. Um, now that the, the dust has settled on the South Africa game, what's your takeaways from the weekend? Well, I was, I was hoping, I think, um, I think we got what I was hoping for. I, I was hoping that we would be able to stand up to... Um, the weight, the aggression, the the power, um, the bomb squad, um, uh, that we wouldn't be, uh, that we wouldn't stand up to it just alone, you know, that we would try and think our way around it. And I felt that's what actually happened. I thought, I thought the selection was pretty good. Um, Look, I don't get overly excited by, by, by these sorts of games. They're huge games, but um, you know that you want you want to see Ireland progress, and you still have that sort of nagging doubt in the back of your head that um, if only we had a three year World Cup cycle and not a four year cycle, whether that might make any difference. But the uh, you know because you know the important games are going to be in in uh, in the World Cup next year. Um, but I just like the progression from the team. Like this Irish team hasn't played together since the summer. We've had a huge amount of injuries. I know every other team has as well, but we're talking about Ireland. But uh, the manner in which they went about the game, just, I just, it was pretty gratifying to watch, actually, to see that progression. Because, you know, the one thing I talked about last week about it was that um, we have proven over the last couple of years that we can we can play against New Zealand, uh, beat New Zealand. But it's against that huge bulk of sides where Irish teams and provincial teams have kind of come unstuck. So this was the first opportunity to go and do it. And and we got over the line. Now, there was elements of uh, luck, I think, involved in it, as there is in all games. And there was some um, poor decisions from, from South Africa. But I was like, I was just very happy with it. I'm not getting carried away by it, but I, I just thought it was really enjoyable to watch the manner in which they played. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, we had, your, I think that's the 97 Lions jersey over your, your shoulder there with Will Greenwood. Yeah. Uh, he was on that tour and obviously um, got knocked out on it. But um, he was saying, were you a little bit lucky? You know, obviously there's the kick in the... In the thing, I was like, yeah, it's fair to say that some of the, the breaks did go our way. However, there was never any stage where you felt like we were about to lose it. If you think back to like the games that we've lost in, in recent years, we had a furious comeback against France in the Six Nations last year, but Sexton wasn't playing in that game. And there was definitely periods of the game where France were cutting us apart. The first two minutes, Dupont is uh, first minute and a half. Dupont is is in over the line. Like okay, they they kind of know what to do against us here. But it never really felt like 
this South African team playing the way they are at the moment were ripping us apart. Our scramble defence was excellent, but our form never broke. We bent a little, but we never broke. And that's why, if there were some bits of fortune, it's like, yeah, I'm sure if you went and look back, there's other bounces of the ball that didn't go our way. And it didn't feel like it was a lucky smash and grab. It felt like the better of the two teams won. Well, it, it looked like a, a very mature performance and it looked like a learnt performance. So France pose a very different um, um, uh, challenge. I think France have very big forwards and they do play at a much faster pace um, and their backs have an ability to cut you open from anywhere. Um, I would still say they're not as fit as the Irish team might be. And I think that Ireland can can uh, can sort of uncouple France in, in that sort of situation at different times if they, if they manage to stay in the game for any period of time. South Africa are different. They're very heavy. They take their points. Um, they have an odd opportunity. They'll have a go for a try if they have a penalty, but they tend not to um, without that. Uh, for the most part, they tend not to take too many real risks. Um, and it's an incredibly successful formula. And, but for me, they were, they were missing, uh, Lucanio Am and they seem to lack that subtlety or that, um, uh, that real cutting edge at different times. And because they weren't putting over all their penalty kicks, like that's what it's built on. So you mentioned the jersey on the back. I love the fact we won in 97. I think it's fantastic. But one of the main reasons we won is because they didn't kick over their kicks, you know, and we stayed in the fight and that's all we could probably do. And and we did it long enough to win a series. Um, South Africa playing with without a guy who kicks 95% of their kicks it really doesn't suit them, you know, because that's that's how they play. They kick, you know, they tip, keep the um, the uh, the scoreboard ticking over all the time. And by dint of pressure, if they keep doing that, they will take a couple of opportunities late on. And now they would steamroll a lot of teams. Yeah. So that's where I would be really happy with Ireland. And I, I thought we managed to match an awful lot of their contact really well. We stopped them very early. Um, yeah, no, like I was really happy with it. I, the look for me is we still could have lost the game if they were popping over the kicks. I know we missed a couple as well, um, but our game isn't built entirely around um, keeping the, the scoreboard ticking over like like South Africa's is. And it did feel like we... Now, there's a little bit where we keep inviting sides into uh, having hey, we'll give you one last play at the end of the game where if everything goes your way you might beat us it still happens a lot in those big games that we win you're kind of like it'd be great if we could just maybe stop that from happening uh, but that aside you definitely felt like we were responding to whatever they were throwing at us and when we needed to aggress like it, particularly at the start of the second half where we scored the two tries back to back it was like well now's our time at bat and we're going to take advantage of it, it it's that maturity that you're talking about the other thing we we talked to uh, Greenwood about was the impact that the attack coach is beginning to have and how, not beginning to have, it's now over the last year, and just uh, how the, the attacking style of the team is really clear to see. And maybe, you know, we need to talk about the whole coaching ticket. You know, O'Connell obviously gets... Um, a lot of credit for the mall and, and Easterby's getting his credit. Is it time that we also started to talk about, well, the attacking flair of this team is great to watch? 
I, well, I think that's part of it. Um, uh, I would break it down one step further and say that there has been a fairly significant um, philosophical change in 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 um, what the players are allowed to do. And I think we were very programmed, which was very successful with Joe Schmidt until it wasn't successful. And I just think there is a bit more of a man management idea and an opportunity for players to express their skills. Um, there are some wild cutout passes that wouldn't have happened two or three years ago. And I think it took a period of time to be able to do it. So I do think the the philosophy makes a change. Um, but I also think the types of players we have make a change. And I think Mike Cat is obviously consistently working with those players to giving giving them the confidence to try different things and um, building out the the attacking process, which you know we've talked about this before, but it protects Johnny Sexton far more. Um, now he did get smashed up a couple of times, but it, he didn't look vulnerable being smashed up. Whereas, again, I thought three years ago he looked very vulnerable getting smashed up. Um, I thought he played really well, like like brilliantly well. And but all the players seem to be comfortable to have a bit of a go. And one thing we didn't mention about it as well was, you know, Ireland had a lot of injuries in the game, and um, that could have had a huge impact, and often has a huge impact, and um, and didn't actually. And uh, like so, it looked like the squad of twenty three played their part. And of course, Keith, we only we only really won the game because of uh, some poor refereeing decisions. If you're to, <laughs> to believe a certain South African director of rugby, um, and Rassi was very complimentary about you. Remember his South African A game just last week? He was complimenting you massively, and I know he's a popular figure in Munster. But sour grapes, is it? The whole uh, Twitter post. I, look, I don't I don't quite know what what's going on there, and um, like I. Look, if we ignore Rassi for a for a moment, I get a little bit frustrated with the laws of the game because there is so much down to timing, maybe to subjectivity. Um, for the fans, if you're one-eyed, you only see one half of the of of elements of it. I still kind of watch games. I mean, I annoy people when I watch games with them. I still watch it as an old BBC analyst where you're looking at the game and trying not to put emotion into it too much. Of course, you have emotion into it, but you try and look at the game with a bleak eye and to see what is the right thing there. I mean, I thought I thought Bielham got away with a couple of scrums. Um, I could, you could argue that on that side, but that's what every single scrum is like. And you get away with what you get away with in, in, in some of them and how the referees interpret what's happening in front of you. Um I, I look. I think the laws are making it difficult for the referees. They're being um, they're a bit vulnerable at the moment, um, and I don't think we can be giving out about them. You know, uh, and coaches can't. And but I do think that we need to tidy that up a little bit more and give them a little bit more power on the field. Um, not that it has to be dissected by slow mo immediately. A lot of the slow mos make rugby very difficult and I know you have to be careful for people who have been hit in the head and I think that that's really important but the the 25 different angles to see whether there may be the slightest potential knock on I don't know if that's appropriate I think you have to be able to do things in real time a bit more um, for non-safety related elements but this like the 
the sarcasm or the slagging off the ref, you know, it, it, like it, it just can't be part of the game because, uh, like, and again, I spoke about it last week. The idea of having respect from the captain to the to the referee and the referee to the captain, we kind of need to get players to shut up as well and and try and bring it back to that point of where the people, you know, the people who are allowed to talk are the ones who manage the game, which are the captains and and the uh, and the ref. Important for World Rugby to start saying something about that, to start taking the lead on that and in a public way. Like, we we so frequently think to the World Cups and the implementation of rules and that sets the tone for the following four years. You think of the tip tackle, for example, which now all of a sudden isn't a red card anymore. Um, but, like, they, they first started going, OK, that's all red card the whole way through and it had a massive impact in a World Cup semi-final when Alain Roland red carded the Wales captain like that was the right call because that was the right decision and World Rugby had decided that so over the next year do we get like a point where it's a yellow card anytime anybody talks to the referee who isn't you know like something has to happen because otherwise Razzie's going to keep doing this the pressure's going to keep ramping up the referee constantly in their own head going what's Razzie going to say on video about this like it's a it's a very very tenuous thing that rugby has that other sports are jealous of but that can go like that well, it can go and it's, look, there's reasons for it. And, um, but if you're allowed to get away with it, you do. So if it goes down to the law and the spirit of the law, if you march back a guy for talking to you, for shouting at you, if you, if you bring it out, if World Rugby bring it out saying, listen, the only person that's going to talk now is, is the, uh, is the captain. Now, you have to get the ref to treat the captain with respect, too. Sure. You can't have the ref being dismissive, which happens sometimes, which would drive me to distraction. But um, And you need to have uh, the captain not to query every single decision. You know, there's a time and a place, and you need to pick those things that you have as well. We've That's the way it used to be, and it's drifted away from it a bit. Um, but I do think that needs to come back in. And yes, I think World Rugby needs to take the lead on that. Okay, um, we should talk about the, the fact that Munster have sold out Porky Cueve for the game. Like that's a phenomenal. The power of the Munster brand is still sensational. It's obviously the novelty of the game uh, in Porky Cueve, but it, it does still signify something special, latent a little bit in the Munster brand. Does it? Oh, I, really, I look. I think it does. I. It's long overdue. And it's funny, I've spoken to a couple of um, Limerick rugby supporters over the last couple of weeks and they're saying, well, they're kind of, you know, what's the story? Will this be a, a leading away from um, from Thoman Park down to down to Porky Cueve? Um, I hope so, a little, actually. Um, I think it's very important that Cork gets fully... Um, uh, fully engaged with with Munster, and I do think that some of the URC matches, in particular, on at seven thirty at night time, um, with a bad road from Cork to Limerick, makes it really hard to go up and and support it. So, um, I do think it's like it's a it's a fairly large province, but we need big matches in Cork as well. We need all the support we can get, and I think it's short-sighted to think that everything should be just in in Limerick or Thoman Park, although Thoman Park is fantastic on those big days out. So the opportunity to be in Porky Cueve is fantastic. Um, the opportunity to have 44,000 people at a game 
is fantastic. I'm delighted that the GEA have opened up the ground for it. Um, and I think this is an ideal game to start, but I would still like to see a big game, a big European Cup game in Cork. I think that would be appropriate as well in, in the years to come. So hopefully this gives the opportunity to be able to maximise the support that we have in Munster for the Munster rugby team. And I do think at times that hasn't happened fully. Yeah, I, like it doesn't feel as if Munster GA and Munster Rugby are competing in the same way that other sports might be competing in other parts of the country. It seems like if you're a Munster GA fan, it's very easy for you to be a Munster Rugby fan. If you're a Cork hurling fan, it's very easy for you. To, if you're a Kerry football fan, it's very easy for you to also support Munster. It seems like a very natural thing. I'd say it's the one part of the country where the sports are the, the fandom is most aligned now maybe people in the comments are going to tell me I'm completely wrong about that but it doesn't feel like uh, that division that exists think, in other parts of the country is there I think they fit pretty well I think sometimes it gets overplayed when Limerick have been doing incredibly well that there's a, a dearth of players coming through the system I think that can be an excuse rather than anything else I don't know whether this is true but I'm trying to trawl back into a memory I have but I have a feeling Mick Mackey famous um, uh, Limerick hurler from the um, 50s and 60s I know I was in school with his, his grandson but I um, I have a feeling that he was one of the nominated um, um, GEA people to go to to rugby matches to catch other people that were going there you know the GEA people because he used to be banned at that stage because he was going to be there anyway, because he was such a huge fan and a huge supporter of rugby. He was going to go to all of them anyway. And I always think there was that sort of an idea that um, uh, when that ban was on, that that never really fit very comfortably down here. And um, I don't know. I think I think people are sports fans. I mean, I, we don't have to have it as a straight up and down competition all the time. Look, but I'm thrilled that like to get 44,000 going to a match in Munster is phenomenal. So like this is this is a great opportunity for us. Um when you look at days that went past where if if Munster were to play a big semi final and it needed to be in a bigger stadium, well we might be able to do it in the Gaelic grounds now or we might be able to do it in Porky Cueve now. Um that those big matches can be kept in the province if that's if that's acceptable, that'll be fantastic. There's a real element of Graham Rountree creating a, a special occasion around this as well, Keith. Like he's he's talked about not letting the players, not taking the players out onto the pitch or into the stadium in Porky Cueve until until the game starts itself. Of course, the kickers will, will go a little bit earlier in practice, but there is that moment. There's going to be that moment where the players walk out, and for them, it's a unique special occasion as well. Well, it's it's interesting looking at um, looking at Graham and they've like Monster have had a a fairly hard. Um, a fairly hard start to the to the campaign, and things haven't gone well, and they haven't played particularly well. Um, and and yes, there seems to be a slightly pastoral sense of 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 old school rugby with with Graham and what he's saying about it. And actually, there was an interesting comment that he had that he bemoans the fact that midweek matches are kind of gone, you know. And I think we would have all played in those matches and, and, you know, some of the matches that were against Australia might have been on during the week or, you know, at different times at that stage back in the in the 80s and 90s. And there is a little bit of a throwback to this game. And, OK, it isn't a full South African team and it isn't a full Munster team. 
Um, but uh, I think people are, are getting interested now in, in what Munster are trying to do with the younger players uh, coming through. And I think that leads to the number that it's a sellout. But but also that idea that this is special and it's special for Munster to be able to have this game. Um, Graham is, he's old school Leicester, you know, um, he's, it's it's all about that sense of community and uh, and trying to link with the people around it. I mean, if anybody has been over to any of the, the, the Leicester games, they'll know that it's very community oriented and based and it's a long and long standing depth of support. Um, I think, I think he's played the right cards. I think he's, I also think he believes in it. So he's not, you know, he's, he's living what he, what he says. Um, he wants to fully engage with as many people as he can. And that's what Munster needs. Yeah. No, uh, I think in a weird way, the game matters far more than it should do. Like if they can put in a performance, it could be the spark for something. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's hard to put in a big performance. Again, it depends on, uh, it depends on, the maturity of the players that are playing. So you're looking for, uh, you're looking to have a goal, but you're also looking to be able to deal with heavy hitting. And it's not, it's not anywhere near as big a South African team, uh, thankfully. And, um, and there's a lot of young guys playing. So I'm, uh, I'm just looking forward to seeing how they stand up to it, but how they love this idea of an occasion. Yeah. I mean, I just, like you have to, there has to be a huge sense of joy. To, to play in the biggest crowd that you have at a monster game. And there's an awful lot of young guys who are going to go into this and say, wow, this is what we can, this is what we can pull in here. This is what we can, um, um, this is what we can play in front of. And they have to try and live up to that idea. And for me, it is performance entirely, not results, but it's to go out there and say, wow, this is, this is a reason to play the game. Yeah, 100%. Keith, good to have you with us. Thanks a million. Brilliant. Cheers, Jens. It's uh, Keith Wood there uh, talking about loads of different things. I think, like, obviously, it's uh, friendly against a uh, South African side as opposed to the main South African team. But, but, sticking out performance in, mm. like, at that point about uh, this, this is, this is the biggest crowd, right? Like, that is what those Munster players are part of. They're part of this long line of absolutely steeped in history really amazing power of Jersey and they wrote a play about it yeah. you know like and we just need to see a bit more of that from from the team allied to what the Mike Prendergast blueprint is trying to do and like convincing the forwards to take that extra pass and use the footwork and um and it's like the meld of modern stuff and tradition. I, I don't know. Think. Well, it adds a little bit of interest to it, the fact that so many of Munster's main players aren't available. Like, we're, we're getting a chance to see some players against a decent South African team, albeit not their number one team. And that was the case in the All Blacks game. Yeah. And it wasn't the first choice. You know, you go back and you look at the, some of the names you play and you're like, well, it turned out they all went on to have really good careers. Decent. And, or they were excellent players at the time. So... Um, yeah, big opportunity for them, and, and fingers crossed. It is a fair point, though. The the whole Cork, uh, you know, GA fans are also Munster rugby fans. You don't get that in Ulster uh, for yeah, sure. You don't really get it in Leinster. No, and in Connacht, it, maybe Connacht is, is the second most province where you can, you know, you can be a Galway Mayo or Roscommon uh, Gaelic football fan, and also a Connacht rugby fan. Um, but in Munster, that that uh, cohesion between sports is definitely most prominent, um, and that's a good thing. And and I think, as Keith says, 
moving it to Parky Cueve and having a game of this magnitude in Parky Cueve and 41,000 odd people is huge for rugby in Munster and that we probably won't be able to see the, the, influ- the influence of it for, for a few years because it, you, know, you, could, you could have kids there at this game in Parky Cueve tomorrow night who remember this forever you'll see some big spring bucks taking on the boys in red so yeah um, more power to them and I think spreading it around the provinces can only be a good thing uh, What kind of a response will um, Jason Jenkins get from the Munster faithful? <laughs> Mixed you'd imagine Ah, a little bit of um, ribbing back and forth there's no harm I think in a game like this you want a bit of an atmosphere and I think with 41,000 odd people in Parky Cueve interesting interested to see what the atmosphere is like because uh, we know what it's like in a you know a massive hurling game in Parky Cueve but do, well, is it different for a different sport maybe? Well, totally different because everybody's like everybody's cheering for Munster yeah well that's when it too when it's like Cork versus Limerick there's at least 35-40% Limerick yeah 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 yeah. a bit of a cauldron then tomorrow night the fact that it's under lights as well um yeah, I'm interested to see what the atmosphere is definitely like for that game. Yeah, 15 minutes past nine this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. After the break, we're going to be joined by Luke Lachlan, who is through to the Leinster Football Championship semi-finals with the Downs after beating RD at the weekend. Back after these. OTB AM. Right, 17 minutes past nine. You're very welcome back. Um, I'm delighted to say Luke Lachlan is with us this morning. Luke, good morning to you. How are you? Hi, lads. How are things? How are you getting on? Yeah, good. How are the uh, preparations going for the next round? Um, well, we haven't trained yet since uh, the weekend, so look, it hasn't really hit home yet. I think because uh, we put so much emphasis on the county final at Lomans, like they were, they were just that monkey on our back for so long that um, that I think now everything is just a bonus. If you get me, and um, I think training out tonight will really uh, we ramp things up. You know, we're looking forward to the next two weeks. Great chance, actually. So, uh, talk to us then about the build-up to the Lomans game, will you? Like, uh, if a team yeah. is if a team is a monkey on your back, how do you yeah. talk about it? How do you deal with that? How do you prepare for it? How how do you try and chisel them off? I just they had beaten us at times, so did Lomans are a great team and they've got great players, and I know a lot of them personally, you know. But like they'd been in eight county finals there in a row, right? They'd won them easy. They'd come back. They'd lost, you know, they'd, they'd have done it every sort of way. And, like, they've beaten us by a point in semifinals. They've beaten us, they've hammered us, you know. I think it was just our time, you know, everyone's coming to the... I think we were just growing up a small bit more. Like, maybe we weren't ready, we would no real leaders, you know. We, we just prepared properly. And a lot of that goes down to Lara. I think he got us right mentally and... You know, he's he's a special man. He's a madman, but he's a special man, all right. And uh, I think a lot of it comes down to the way he had us. Like, he left no stone unturned. Like, I can't go into, like, the detail the man goes into. It's just he leaves nothing, nothing to chance. And I think that's what we're missing, you know. Maybe we were just trying to play them, play them, 15 on 15 for too long but this time we were just ready for every scenario and I think that's just all it comes down to Larry at the end of it that he had us that ready you know and did you talk about the opposition much in the build up or did you like how much of that do you do because you have obviously have to like on an individual basis your job is going to be like you know they have some good players as you said someone needs to look after their main man Uh, and so obviously you have to do that but you can't talk yourself into this is a superpower and Jesus, you know, we need to be really, really worried about that. <laughs> yeah, I know, yeah. Um, 
so a lot of it was for us so we had had a good season and a lot of it was for us we'd finished games brilliantly so we played a couple of championship games where we we we, were, we went the year unbeaten there but it was at the end of games where we were brilliant so we just always knew that we were just in it at the end we went like he put that belief in us whereas you know before we were like we just didn't have the bottle to go on and maybe you know go into the next year whereas this time we just knew if we were in it, we'd win it. And it actually is as simple as that. It's just a mindset thing. And it's not just one person believing it. It's a whole club. Everyone in the club just felt it was our year this year, you know. And, you know, it's a special thing that's happening out the downs at the minute. And I'm just so happy to be a part of it, to be honest, you know. It's 17 years, Luke, as well. Like you talk about a gap for a club, like so. Yeah. Year on year, that that weight of expectation and hope that you can bridge that gap becomes stronger. You'd imagine. Yeah, it does. Like I just tell the lads, like my year when I got to start at out of the Downs weren't great, and we played two relegation games, uh, two years in a row, won both of them by a point, eight seven, <laughs> and then you know. After that, like not great, but they had a couple of um, couple of minor teams that won uh, won the championships and other funny ones. But yeah, the seventeen years thing, you know, we never really thought about it like that because none of us were playing. Well, Brendan now is on the panel, Brendan Marta, but like none of us seen it, so none of us really knew about it. We just heard about it, so there was no real expectation on us to bring out and back. So it was kind of all new for all of us. But we did put pressure on ourselves because we all are getting a little older. Like I'm the oldest on the team there that starts the starts on team at 27, which is for a club is something really special, you know. And we just kind of want to start making our own history. Like we're the first team now that so the last two times they won the championship, no three and no five, they lost to the loud champions, and now we're after beating them, obviously. So we're just on a bit of a journey now at the minute, taking it day by day, and not really putting too much pressure on ourselves but definitely looking to the future and you know preparing properly and giving ourselves every chance to go on and do whatever you know uh, there's a seven minute drive between uh, Lowman's and the Downs GA clubs I just mapped it according to Google <laughs> yeah. Maps there uh, so it's like Shelbyville versus um, Springfield <laughs> like that yeah. that's incredible too the whole of Mullingar must have been lit um, so as the actually I trained with Lomans for a month when I was about nine I think so that's where I started my footballing career but um, yeah we so like I play hurling with Clonkill and a couple of the Lomans has play hurling with Clonkill so the clubs are very close you know we'd be a bit bit more country club we're kind of just on the end four there near Kinnegad and they'd be more town but we've a lot of players from all around you know big club but there is a great rivalry here and such respect. Like they were great, they've been great champions, you know, great, great, great champions, great team, you know, and just nice lads as well, you know. That's that's all part of sport, but like you can't win everything. And there's always no matter how good you are, there's always someone that can beat you, you know, on any given day. And this time it was your turn to, to beat them and uh, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and so the aftermath of that, the outpouring of emotion, uh yeah. To, to get up to that high and then to come down and then to get back up for yeah. a match we, we were just talking about this with Pearl Slattery earlier they won the league and then had to go out in the cup the next week and, and managed to do it um, what was what was what was that like that whole experience uh, uh, so, well like just two ways I can look at it. so like just like the club perspective right so like it was amazing like I can't 
like it was so up and down and up and down but it was a kind of a like I was able to take it all in but then like on the personal so for me before like ups and downs like so I would get the highs were so high for me that like even just winning a game like that I would even without drink like, I would get hard to work the next day because lows were so low for me but now I'm just kind of it's hard to say when I'm almost flatlining so like I'm not getting as excited by things but then the trade-off thing is that I'm not getting as down by things either so I can just enjoy them like a, I'm just going to say like a normal person but then which is obviously great you know because it just shows where I am mentally and that's obviously a blessing but for the club there you know like going to the schools all these things that you kind of take for granted it's just so special you know and like even now the club's going to have to get to have a dinner that's next year like it's just you know class stuff stuff that you nearly forget about you know when you're when you're talking about the, the highs and the lows there um, I think some people will be familiar with your story but other people won't yeah. be too familiar yeah. um, what do you have to not go and celebrate can you go to the can you do all the stuff apart from <laughs> like what, what can you what can you and not can and not do at the moment so, uh, I go tell you now I can't drink anyway that's the big <laughs> <laughs> no I, no I, I, I can and like just say the night of the final there like I was so happy to just but I think people just accept now that they're not drinking it's just part of my life and I do almost, I just love playing. And I think that's where, like, nobody would expect me. Like, even I'd say if I didn't even go to the celebrations, I, I'd say no, be a care because the playing is my part. I, like, I, I don't feel like I'm missing anything. I, I'm going to be honest with you. In my lifetime, I've celebrated that county final a hundred times, you know, for no reason. And, like, sometimes I feel like I'm missing out. But then I have to think about, right, look, if if I drink or whatever, like you have to just think of where you'll end up or who you're gonna hurt. Because for me, like that's what always happens. Like just always, uh, always ends up bad. Like there's just no good outcome of it, and I accept that, and that's part of my life. But then sometimes as well, I can stay out maybe a bit too late just to be seen to be kind of involved, and I actually just. I just don't enjoy it so I just go home I'm like Houdini I'm just gone you know and that's that's a safe place for me is to know that I can always go home like it's different there in a different country like just say the Westmead holiday there the lads that went on it they obviously had a great time and they played great when they came back but that's another part for me there like if I just start feeling comfortable somewhere I just can't go home like I was in Mexico (laughs) I can't just right so you didn't you, 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 that was, no, I didn't go. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that that's wisdom, though, right? Like uh, uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I, it definitely is, right? Like it, it's the bit where previously you would have put yourself in danger, you would have experienced the danger and not been able yeah. to deal with it. Now you're like, uh, that's a danger zone. I'm just going to yeah, avoid it. Is. it. I, it wasn't even that. Like there's obviously loads of ways to look at it, but I no, I didn't. Uh, I didn't mind any of the downs that's going. They completely deserved it. But I just felt me being captain or joint captain, Mark and a little older and I just felt I felt almost guilty going I was like I just have such a great opportunity with the Downs here that I can go to Mexico anytime and like this sort of stuff just doesn't come around too often and I was thank God it paid off because I would have had a fairly sad head on me Monday morning now (laughs) but you know 
everything happens for a reason in my I think anyway and that was definitely a decision I think that I got right you had that incredible year with, with Westmeath and the Talton Cup yeah, success yeah. as well, Luke, like, which was just incredible. And to see the scenes when you came back to Westmeath as well was, was really lovely. Um, you then made that decision, I guess, to, to, to bring people who weren't familiar with your story, this story, of just a few days yeah. after the, the match. Was yeah. there any thinking behind the timing of that? Or? Uh, no, actually, um, Sinead Hussey from RT had got in contact with me before that and... Uh, she had wanted to do something it, it, it just happened to be around the time of the Talented Cup actually and obviously uh, it came at a great time um, because obviously we won it wouldn't have been the same if we had lost one um, so I did the interview or whatever and like the reaction I got from it was crazy it was, it was, I couldn't believe it like you know and to see the amount of people then that still get in contact with me that are going through some of the same stuff and like a lot of people just they kind of just coast through life and just get comfortable in the uncomfortable you know like they don't sort anything that's wrong like not saying everyone has to go to Kuwera for three months <laughs> I wouldn't wish I'd be worst enemy at times to be honest but like I think we just um, we just we're just so consumed with what other people think that we nearly just let our life problems lie type thing and just keep carrying on with life and don't sort things. But I was just so happy that I was, I felt like when I came out of Kumwira, I kind of had this, like people were kind of looking at me different. They were looking at me different before within there, but they were definitely looking at me different when I came out. And um, now I kind of had this, like it's a weight off my shoulders and it's just part of my life. I just don't drink. I I obviously don't do drugs. I just live, try to live as healthy as life as possible. And thank God for football at times because, you know, there was times in my life and I didn't have it and there was times that I hated it. And even there, I was injured there. for After the Celtic Cup, I got injured for, I think, two and a half months. And telling you, it's fairly low after that. You, know, you can't do anything. Like, you know, sometimes when lads get injured, they, they might. that's when they can start enjoying themselves a bit. I couldn't do anything. Like, not, you know, and that's where your head can get at you so that's when you have good people around you you get back to the things that you know work for you meditation trying to exercise all this sort of stuff you know How old were you when you went to Coomera? I was 26 Okay so it's recent it's last year Yeah but it was actually I was 500 days sober yesterday actually Wow congratulations Monday, Monday. Yeah. yeah yeah it's great yeah when you put it into, into numbers it's kind of cool yeah it's cool for me anyway um, yeah, I was 26, so yeah, I went to Kumir in Italy. I was there for three months, and I'm going to be honest, I I actually had a great time there. And that might sound crazy, but I had no phone, no distractions. I was able to meet people that were in similar situations, and to be honest, a lot of people in a lot worse situations than me, and I was somewhat grateful for my life at that time, because there's some people that their livers had given up, their, you know, and I was heading that way, like there was no no doubt about who was getting to that stage and people with no family and, you know, it kind of, you nearly feel bad for having problems when, you, when some people are coming out with the, with the problems that they have, you know. Can I just take you back to a bit before that? Um, you you yeah. talked about, you know, people don't don't get upset anymore when you leave, or you, you do the old Irish goodbye yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on nights yeah. out. Were you were you a public uh, drinker? Like, were you drinking oh, yeah. around, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like locally? So you would have been known as a drinker. No, definitely. Yeah, like I would have been known as a headbanger. <laughs> That's right. as simple as that. Yeah, like I 
could go out there on a Friday night. I might go home till Monday evening or Tuesday, you know. And it's like that's the, and I'd love to, you know the way sometimes people's lives that happens once in a blue moon or once I was doing that on the daily, you know, every not on the daily on the weekly every weekend and. You know, you can't live like that. There's only so many chances people give you. And I'm so lucky. The amount of people that are trying to help me. And I I was just so in denial of the problems that I had that I kind of pushed them away. And I, I'm still lucky that a lot of people stood by me. A lot of people I pushed away in life that I might never get back. And that's something I have to live with because of the stuff I, I done and that, my actions. But I am very grateful for the people that are still in my life. And... That done that do so much for me. Like I'm going to be honest. Until maybe recently, I was a glorified. Like I was wrapped in bubble wrap. Like you know, I was an adult baby. You know, I was always someone looking after me. It always someone knowing where I was. And it's it's nice in a way, but you kind of just have to get on with your life. Like the novelty now, I say, of me being sober is just it's kind of over now. And it had been over the last while, but. It just shows that people just care about you and everyone has a few people that do care closely about them and I'm lucky I have I've so many people that look out for me like even before games you know like people I might not have seen in years you know text me before every game you know it's the best of luck and I'm delighted to see you're doing well you know it's nice nice feeling it's amazing how, how important you speaking out as well, Luke, has been and, and will continue to be for, for other people. Like, I remember you, in your interviews last year even speaking about abandonment issues and, and like, yeah, trying to deal definitely. with those things. And, like, that, that's, yeah, yeah. that's something that will touch a chord with a lot of people that, that maybe hear you speak and, and you're a person of influence as well, that they take that on board. Yeah, that's it, though. Like, you nearly, it's nearly getting better getting advice off a stranger than off the people you love you most because I find as well, like, you know, Say just say my mother is very close to me and whatever. Like just before she could be giving me advice, but the last thing you want to do is listen to the person closest to you. But when a stranger speaks, it it might uh, it might hit something different or someone that you can relate to. Obviously, a lot of, like a lot of young lads involved in sport have kind of reached out to me with stuff, and like it's very hard to be honest to get back to them all because it takes up a lot of my energy. So sometimes I just have to say, look, I am not a counselor, I'm not a professional, but this has worked for me but because there was a time there like I was kind of getting invested in people's lives a bit too much and it was kind of wearing on me like you know and but them issues them issues are all like we all suffer with a bit of something and like not everyone's perfect but like I don't mind speaking about because uh, not that I'm over it but I just know how to deal with it now and like if there's a way someone can can get over their issues without having to go through the suffering maybe that I went through or someone else went through, why would I hold on to that knowledge when I can share with someone else and help them? Like, helping someone is such an easy way to make yourself feel good. Like, I'm not saying that's why you do it, to make yourself feel good, but, like, when you can help someone that's going through something, like, that's fulfilling them. Like, that's fulfilling a bit of a purpose for me, I feel, like, helping someone, you know, and I get, I get a great kick off that. So if you got any problems, let them on me here and I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> so is this going to change your life beyond the obvious? Like, is this going to change the course of what it is that you want to spend your time doing on a day-to-day basis? Well, like, so to be honest, I, like, I still don't know what I want to do. So I've been in the army, I've been in college, I've worked jobs, worked in pubs, just uh, you name it. But 
So I recently just been chatting to my girlfriend or whatever, and just she's kind of a deep enough person. So we kind of talk, and she could say like, um, "So what's your purpose?" Like, and when I think about it, like maybe helping people. So in summer, so I had to take action to get into that. So so I started an online PT course as Tanta. So there's a way that I can maybe start into something. You get me? Is I don't P- sorry, know how. P- PT, personal what, what? training right. and strength conditioning. So it's like, it's just nearly, I don't know if that's going to help, but that's taking action. Whereas some people say, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it. I would, I'd be one of them people where I'd say, oh, I'll leave it off. Yeah. But like, you just have to start taking action, you know? The, pro- and, um, the procrastinating Irish male, but it's no, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The reason I'm asking is that because we had Eric Donovan in, in studio, and his story is not a million miles away from yours. And I think, um, you know, he, he talked about doing uh, a course in counselling. And I know that Oshin McConville has done the course in counselling and found that useful. And here's you saying yeah. that, like people, you know, uh, people coming to you asking you for help, and you actually have a template for it. Like it seems like a fairly natural thing to yeah, do. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Um, I just kind of haven't really talked too much about the future. I'm just living in the moment at the minute. And like when I came out, where my whole purpose was playing for me, like nothing else. Honestly, every every decision I made was around being the best that I could have been and training as much as I could. And kind of when that ended, it's kind of like there is that like you know when the highs and there's a drop off I was like I just remember like a few days after just actually with club championship I like five rounds of club championship in two weeks and I got injured and I just remember after I got injured just been like sitting I was in one of them boots like a boot for my foot and just been sitting on my couch for like what do I do now like yeah. what, what what do I actually do now like and, and I know like sport like our sport GA does not pay the bills like I'm completely so aware of that but I was just in a bit of a bubble for a few months things were going great so you know I'd say you know it's time to maybe start thinking about the future a small bit but not putting any much not, not putting not putting too much pressure on myself you know you have enough people that put pressure on you without doing it yourself like do you do you recognise look the the person who went into Kunwara at first like I'm sure and a lot of people's stories tend to be quite similar that when they first start I guess dealing with these issues of addiction that they're almost trying to con people in in places like that of you know convincing them that they're that they're okay um, like was your story along similar lines or how was your um, how do you differentiate between the, the, the early portion in Kuenwara and, and where you're at now ah uh, well they, they came to me after a few weeks and they were like you're not learning that in here and I kind of I wasn't I was in there recharging the batteries to go again because I had no options left I couldn't I had nowhere else to go and like it literally was my last option so for for my last option like I had to do something and I um, sorry I don't know I'm just having a video problem here no worries we can see you oh. yeah can you see me yeah we, we did until you said I have a video problem and then <laughs> you flicked us off yeah no just one second here just, no worries there's someone coming into the office here yeah there you go so I um I definitely uh, I definitely recognise a lot of differences so when I went in there as I said I was recharging the batteries and I um, I just wanted to to go again and when my when they came to me after a few months I I kind of just resonated I was like I need to cop on like a woman actually came to me Josie was her name probably shouldn't say that but she came to me and told me a story about a drink driver that had um, 
a drink driver that had killed her son and she prayed for the drink driver every day and used to meet him and I just remember this feeling like absolute the the lowest person in the world actually told me that and I just made a decision there and then I was like I'm going to do whatever I can to get better or to get somewhat better you know like she opened my eyes a lot of people in there opened my eyes like there was a priest from Westmead in there as well and he'd be coming in and like telling me the results of games and he'd be like eight weeks now and you've championed eight weeks eight weeks you know like there's such amazing people out there and like when I think back to it to the person I was like even when I tell so my girlfriend has never seen me drink obviously thank God and even when um, even when she even when I tell her stuff about the way I used to be like she's like there's no way that's the same person like she's like there's no way and maybe that's the decision I make every day to try and be a better person but it is a constant battle between what you are and what you are between where you want to go. So that's what I find happiness is, is where you, where you are. Happiness is for me is the space between where you are now and where you're going. And so in that space, I'm quite happy, you know. It's a truly remarkable story. And uh, it hasn't finished yet because obviously, you know, the season is ongoing. But the 500 days is the greatest achievement. Whatever about stopping the incredible Lowman's team and all their <laughs> great players, that's great. But 500 days is truly special. And... You know, you have to keep it up. Yeah. Like, for me, it just, like, that people go on about trophies and winning this and winning that. Being healthy is a real trophy for me. And, like, that might sound, like, so cheesy, but, like, waking up fresh, like, I don't hurt anyone anymore. I don't have to worry about upsetting someone or I don't worry about my actions having to worry about my actions or missing work or missing a game or you know hurting someone's feelings or just you know or someone not being able to sleep or not knowing where I am you know and like that might sound so crazy to someone else but that's what my life was like because that was every day like my mom told me the only time she could sleep was when she knew I so I would either before drink or after drink get like a belt of depression it could be a week or whatever five days she said that's the only time she slept because she knew that's I was in room I couldn't move like and like that's hard to hear because that's the person that cares about you the most and you know now that doesn't like that's just not I can just see happiness in the people around me's life because things are just normal now you know and they don't have to worry about stuff like I have other, I have other brothers and to be honest I do get a lot of guilt sometimes say, thinking that maybe I took all of my mother's attention away from my brothers because she was just worrying about me all the time, you know. But now, you know, I have a younger brother, I have a younger brother, Josh, and he's in school and, like, they still have to look after him, whereas at least now they don't have to worry about a 27-year-old. Like, he's a grown man, like, you know, and that's that's life, though, as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, you've been incredibly honest again, and I, I, I do think Shane makes the point that, like, uh, it's really powerful to have somebody come out and speak about these things because so frequently it's kind of hidden, like headbanger yeah. around town that's that family's yeah, problem yeah, it's nobody yeah. else's problem but for you to come out and say actually you can change and you can develop and evolve and it's not a, it's not an easy thing it takes a lot of work and it's an everyday struggle like that's I do it, think yeah. it's really powerful there's 
every day is a every day is a blessing, but every day is a battle. You know, like I still have days where I don't want to go to work, and like that's where it starts from healing is when I start like feeding into like my my thoughts because thoughts are just thoughts; they're not going to kill anyone. But it's when you start acting on them, like oh fuck work or fuck doing this or fuck training. And then that turns into, oh, do you know what? I might go into town or, you know what? A few pints will be grand. Sure, it'll be different this time. And uh, so it is genuinely a battle. And I don't think people get that part. It is hard. Like, it, it's not easy. I still, it's, and people think now it's the, it's the games and the training that's, or no, like say the winning, so the Talton Cup and Championship. People think that's the hard part. It's the day to day that's hard. See, because when you win all this stuff, you're happy. Why would you want to ruin your life when you're happy? It, it's literally, it's the small battles for me that are the hardest. And there is times when I, I think to myself, oh, a few pints would be grand. And I'm like, what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you know, I have, to, I have to reflect on all these decisions, you know. Well, it seems like you're making the right decision most days anyway. Yeah. Um, again, thanks very much for making the time to talk to us this morning it is really important I think for us to help amplify these conversations and uh, again best of luck with the whole thing you're playing you're playing yes. lights out at the moment so <laughs> long may it last exactly Luke thanks a million lads take it easy have a good week you too that's Luke Lachlan there and um, I think that story speaks for itself uh, a brilliant outcome there's definitely people out there who are suffering and who are struggling through it. C. Uh, Bracken in the comments says, very tough to be off the drink around the GA. I've been through it myself. Well done to Luke. Mm. It's so entwined in our culture of celebration and like yeah. even that whole thing about drilling the holes in the cup so you couldn't drink out of the cup. People still do it and it's all it's grand for everybody who can handle it. But for yeah. people who can't... Oh, it's the worst environment to be in if, if you can't. And um, like to, to sit listening to someone like Luke and to sit listening to someone like Eric... Donovan yesterday you can't help but be left thinking Jesus the, the strength of these lads because you talk about their sporting achievements but to to bracket them with what they've dealt with away from the ring or away from the GA pitch is just it, it, it amplifies their their experiences and their achievements on the pitch because they're just incredible human beings above above all else we've gone over time there's some brown physical goodness coming next the show tonight is uh the Athletics Adam Crofton is going to be on talking about his new podcast series following Shakhtar in the Champions League obviously a sensational uh, run from Shakhtar in the group stages of the Champions League and Wednesday Night Rugby as always with Joe live from 7 this evening uh, we'll see you tomorrow Cork Camogie star Gemma O'Connor will talk to us about her new book Why Not a Warrior Reaction to Man City versus Chelsea in the League Cup and plenty more good luck OTB AM with Gillette in association with Movember Effortless Shave Magnificent Mo.